Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls, and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going all right, but I have some bad news for you. Ruh-roh. Yeah, um, CBS decided not to pick up our sh- pick up our podcast to the fall season because we skewed too free female. Oh my god! Okay, I haven't had a chance now. A uh, friend of the show, Miles McNutt, wrote a piece uh. up at the AV Club about can- shows getting like the way the shows are covered now. We feel like things have been canceled before they've even been picked up. I haven't had a chance to read his piece about it, uh, yeah. but I certainly have thoughts. On that topic, and also on the the idea that, um, like, how does CBS use that as like, how did they they said that it was at upfronts they offered that information it wasn't like some secret insider scoop at least that's how I understand it right didn't the head of CBS go yeah it was too female yeah it was some sort of weird phrasing from someone I'm not entirely sure who and then Deadline just kind of ran with it naturally yeah uh, but there are better ways to not say that <laughs> I was gonna, like how do you like make that mistake like regardless of that's you know it's, it's it's frustrating that that is a reason to not pick up a show aside from that how do you not have better pr so like better basic understanding of what twitter's gonna do to you if you say that and cbs also just doesn't care well there's that <laughs> <laughs> they don't but, care about twitter yeah i don't know it, it's just that was that was a delightful um yeah, there was a delightful bit of Twitter this week and response and lots of think pieces and, and everything. But um, yeah, so any, and I don't believe it's happened yet, but any word on Limitless? Um, officially, no. Unofficially, uh, the writers were tweeting out goodbyes last night. Oh, no. Yeah, so This it's, is my fault, clearly. Yeah, it, it's probably dead. Um, it's also that the the production company and the studio may have just let the writers go because their contracts were up mm-hmm. at a certain point in the season, and they just had to let them go yeah. so that they could go and do other things. Uh, but yeah, they were all tweeting like goodbyes and everything, so it's really unlikely that it's coming back, and them shopping it around just probably didn't pan out. Oh, that's that's not fun. This is like, if you're gonna c- cancel your shows, you don't know that you're gonna bring them back. Les Moonves, maybe don't go give interviews saying how certainly five of your freshman shows are definitely coming back. So then I think it means you're renewing them, and I feel like a jackass because that's clearly the most important thing. And all of this knowledge is that I feel bad, and that's what everybody should care about. Right, and they also really didn't renew that many of their freshman. They shows. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what did they? Life in Pieces, right? They did Life in Pieces and Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. And Supergirl went to the CW, so that kind of doesn't count. Yeah, because they, they, I don't know that they would have brought that back. Yeah, so when, when Supergirl, and they're giving up Supergirl, which is their highest rated new show. And uh, right. just l- l- let me say, I'm not surprised to find out Nancy Drew was too female for them, so they didn't want to keep it. But um, anyways. But we're going to take that MacGyver plot pilot that's been re- reheated twice now and no one liked it and then they're still going for it yep yep on the upside the carmichael show got renewed that's very exciting that is very exciting so i mean it wasn't on the fall schedule but mm. it'll come back eventually 
Well, I think that uh, Carmichael Show and also uh, Supergirl is a great way to lead into an email we got this week from oh, cool. friend of the show, Carl. Uh, Carl has been having some medical issues recently, so Carl, we hope you're doing better and uh, powering through. Carl wants to know what our go-to TV is, like, you know, cheer you up, um, shows you just keep revisiting, um, and because he's been he's been taking advantage of being laid up quite a bit and being in the right. hospital a lot to watch a lot of Parks and Rec season like two and three. Sure. Um, so so he finished Parks and Rec and now he needs more things to watch. So Noel, what comes to mind? What what should he like? What's good? Feel good? Like warm fuzzies TV? Right. Uh, f- warm fuzzies TV for me is basically the same thing that. And since he's laid up, I mean he's probably not feeling well. So when I'm sick. Mm-hmm. I have base. I go to NBC sitcoms, so it's not Parks and Rec, but I go to Cheers and Thirty Rock mm-hmm. just immediately. Um, just in part because if I'm, especially if I'm feeling sick, it's just like I can doze off and then wake up and not feel bad about it. <laughs> um, but no, Cheers and Thirty Rock and uh, Frasier, all three, always make me feel much better about myself when I'm sick or going through something or whatever. So. Yeah, no, I'll go for those. And the best thing about Cheers and Frasier is that they're each like 10 or 11 seasons. So you can just hit play and no Netflix. I am still watching this. Stop being (laughs) passive aggressive about it. And so, yeah, no. So Frasier, Cheers and 30 Rock. Uh, What about you? Well, I just go for stuff that either I've been meaning to watch for forever um, mm-hmm. But if I'm actively like not feeling not feeling good and I need to cheer up, my first of all, my default number one is the delightful and please ignore the uh, blackface uh, swing time. Uh, Fred Astaire, okay. Ginger Rogers, I just adore that film and that it will like I can just go to YouTube and watch Pick Yourself Up and it'll just cheer me up from pretty much any like bad news or having a kind of crap day that will almost always put a smile on my face. Um, and so on that theme, bunheads. If they're, sure. you know, if, if you have the uh, the, the show, um, if it's still on your DVR, like I know uh, if I hadn't moved, it still would have been on my DVR. Um, but um, the other ones are, are just some of my favorite shows. So uh, like Arrested Development will always make me laugh. So if, if you have a situation where, you know, laughing hurts, maybe not that one. But, but most of the time, you know, like something like Arrested Development or, or something where I know I'm just going to. It's going to take me out of whatever I'm dealing with. If I'm sick, it's going to get me out of, you know, the like the paying attention to, you know, aches or clog stuff nose or whatever. Um, so so I go for things like uh, arrested development and then I go for just super engrossing stuff. So like, you know, really like some of my favorite episodes of Buffy or um, or Lost or Battlestar Galactica or just the different shows where like if I if I'm going to be sick in bed all day. Um, it's either catching on stuff up on stuff that I feel like I should have watched but haven't yet because hashtag peak TV. Um, or if I'm if I'm like don't have the mental capacity for that, then it's just like all of my favorites. <laughs> so right, right. just watch an entire arc again. Just watch the first two seasons of Alias again and just hit pause right before the end of of <laughs> the the second season. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> No, that makes sense. I, I always go for, no, I want to shut down. So that's why I go to stuff I'm super familiar with. Mm-hmm. And if I just kind of drift off, I'm okay. Yeah. So I look forward, Carl, uh, to, to you letting us know uh, what go what works for you. And uh, thank you always for listening. Carl's one of our, our most uh, involved listeners. He always like sends us feedback and lets us 
um, you know, what he's watching and keeping up with. He's always super supportive. So we hope you're feeling better soon, Carl. Um, this week at the end of the podcast, helping with making one feel better. I think you're going to have a hard time going wrong with if you want to have some comedy to watch going with Mr. Show. And that's our DVD shelf this week. We were joined by Vikram Murthy of the AV Club and IndieWire and Movie Mezzanine to talk about that one. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, neither of us had really watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's always nice. That's always nice. And Vikram was really great. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and again, I feel like Mr. Show, if you're hopped up on cold medicine or something, that could only add to the experience. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's a great idea. I may take some Ambien and watch some Mr. Show tonight. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Yeah. Um, but now we should get into, we've got so, again, it's transitional time. A surprisingly of full week. Yeah, lots of finales in the next few yeah. weeks. So, so we're going to take a break and come back with our week in reality and comedy. Her hat is hanging by the door The one she bought in Mexico It blocked the wind, it stopped the rain She'd never leave that one So she can't be really gone The shoes she bought on Christmas Eve she laughed and said they called her name It's like they're waiting in the hall For her to slip them on So she can't be really gone This week in reality in comedy, we're going to talk about The Amazing Race, which has finale, the, the only first that matters, and then go over to the comedy side with Inside Amy Schumer. Uh, this week, that's Madonna Whore, but we're going to talk a little bit more about how the season's been progressing. I'm going to dive in with Veep Mother a little bit, um, and then Noel's going to take things over to talk about the Faking It finale, Up in Flames, and then we'll both jump to get, jump in with uh, Blackish, which had its finale, Goodish Times, and Jane the Virgin, of course, which had its finale, Chapter 44. But before we get to the comedies again, we're going back to reality so the amazing race had its finale as you will recall i had very strong thoughts surprisingly strong thoughts about the penultimate yes. episode of the season um and i thought this was a fine finale like the challenges were good and everybody they did a really good job running the race and i was not upset that the team i only team that seemed like a legitimate winner team didn't like sure. did not win that didn't bother me at all actually i thought the team that won deserved to win but um what bothered me was the way that this last episode was structured such that as soon as the one team got the first challenge in one try yeah and the other teams took more than one try that was it yeah it was over it was over from that like that's like within the first 10 15 minutes of the episode it's over and nothing ever changes through the rest of the the race. And that's a poorly designed final episode. If, if, if they have to screw up in order for anything to change, that means that you didn't make it challenging enough. Especially for an opening challenge that is just like, oh, you screwed up. Well, sorry, you uh, got to start over. And it's just like, no, you do that in the middle mm-hmm. so that you build some suspense mm-hmm. into whether or not something's going to happen. Um, and that was, yeah, it was just really frustrating to watch that happen. And I think that the other thing that was just really frustrating was that, and at least in my experience, um, and you can talk to me about this a bit more, but that 
that challenge where they rehash, no, no pun intended in this case, um, the every place that they went and they had to like match things up because that's always like the last thing that they have to do. Uh, it just seemed really easy this year to yeah. me. And based on like previous seasons, that always seemed like something that took people hours to do. Just even within the edit, they were like there forever. And this just seemed really, really easy. Even yeah. for like a first attempt, it was just like, oh yeah, I got this, and I just went, oh okay, you, you that 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 was fun. There was there was no rising action to this finale. It was a very lovely, even keeled, and it was just like, oh okay, but I mean, Tyler and Corey lost, so hey, there you go. There you go. The yeah, usually the memory challenge at the end, at least in the past few seasons, as I'm recalling it, and I could yeah. be misremembering, but it, it seems like they usually try to incorporate a physical element as well. So it's right. memory, but, you know, there's also some el- some physical challenge to it because everybody who's on the show at this point, by the time, if you're making it to the final three, you probably have done your research. You probably know, you've got to know that there's going to be a memory challenge right. at the end. So you're, so, so people are memorizing as they go along. And as I was saying earlier in the beginning of the season, complimenting the show, the people that they cast for this season are all very canny, very aware right. people. And so... I'm not surprised they all figured out that the hashtags were going to come back and that they all had memorized them, each team. Um, So, I mean, you had to get up earlier in the morning than, oh, look, it's a hashtag. I wonder if that will come back. We don't have phones, so we can't possibly be tweeting this. (laughs) And they they don't show the, you know, like they don't make have us say the hashtag to camera. So that means that they don't want people at home to tweet this. So therefore... Yeah. It's for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then as far as the way that they deployed that, just, again, there wasn't a, it was like, there was just the, the lids on the casks, so there was no particularly physically challenging element to it. It's just right. a matter of... It was just that yeah. she was short. It's like, can you spell Cartagena? Is like the yeah. challenge. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was underwhelming. But I do think that they did a good job of showing how terrifying the heights thing would be. Yeah. Um, and like and and the the contestants did a good job of just verbalizing. I know that I'm in a safety harness. However, right. this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. So so like there are some. It's not like it was uh, bad challenges or something. I just think that they they needed an extra twist or they needed a little bit more creativity. So it, may, it might even just be that they underestimated their contestants. Right. And I, in. I felt like they hadn't done that for a while, basically until this episode, mm-hmm. which was a weird thing because I mean this 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 week something that we won't talk about, but it was Power Players Week on Jeopardy, i.e., celebrities on Jeopardy, and that's always like the easiest week, even though mm-hmm. Louis C.K. just whooped some butt um, for two <laughs> journalists, like slaughtered them. Yeah, but it was just like, why did you guys suddenly make this really really easy when it's actually been fairly fairly challenging in a couple of places but just challenging enough i think consistently throughout most of the most of the season and then it was just like oh no this is going to be really easy guys don't worry yeah well it's it's tough and i think i think they do need to come up with a better way to do the the ending than just a straightforward memory challenge and i, I can't imagine they're in season 28 trying to come up with 28 right. different ways to like have a conclusion sentence to your season. I mean, that's that's got to be a hard thing to do. But um, yeah, when I was watching it, it would have been like a solid middle installment of the series. 
but right. or the season but uh, it was a little underwhelming season finale wise now do you are you looking forward to if you watch future seasons if they have a returning guest season who from the season would you like to see come back I need Team Rooster to come back and redeem themselves and yeah. win. <laughs> I, I think we both agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be on board for that. Do you want more Tyler and Corey, or do you feel like you might need some space? Uh, I could go with them coming back. I mean, they played really well, and mm-hmm. they're clearly both very, very good at this game, mm-hmm. which is an impressive thing. Um, but also, you're in season 28, so anyone who's on it should be good at it. Yeah. In terms true. of like strategizing about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Brody and Kurt and then you're just like, I don't know how to do puzzles in water. <laughs> Fast pass. Well, you know, we, but but that was it was great because then it was super satisfying when they got to the hard stuff. Right. No, they got to something way harder and just went, oh, we have to do this now. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, now this is the first time you watched the season week to week I, in quite in a long a while. time. Yeah. Do yeah. you think you'll watch again or are you like good now? I may be good for a little while. Like I'm really bad at keeping up with reality shows in that normally after like a season, mm-hmm. I'm good yeah. for a while. Um, even like with Top Chef, it's just like, oh, oh I, I've, I've been in for a season. I don't need to watch this for like two years now. I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Okay. Uh, so if they do like another hook or a theme, I may come back for that um, just because I think that kind of adds a level. And like you, like we discussed throughout this season when we checked in with the show, them being nice to one another was a big deal because it affected their brand, basically. They didn't yeah. want to impact their brand. And I thought that was a really important point that you made. And so if they do like another type of theme week, that might be interesting. Um, but I don't know. It'll, it'll just depend. I may tune in just to see like the first couple episodes and be like, I'm good. You're good. And then like, I'll watch the finale. It'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be fine. And I mean, maybe if Kate makes me watch it, I'll watch it and that'll be fine. (laughs) Well, fair enough. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens with next season. And, um, I, I'm glad that it is still a show that exists, even if I don't, if it's not like much must watch television for me at this point. But it, it makes me happy that a show like this with puzzles and geeking out about history and culture around the right. world exists. That still makes me happy. Um, so we have uh, Inside Amy Schumer, Madonna and Whore, or sorry, Madonna slash Whore, uh, which was one of one of the, the entertaining sketches, at least for me this season, this week, yeah. I should say. Uh, how's the season been shaping up? We haven't checked in since the premiere. Right. Uh, I feel like it's been on for much longer than it has. I was looking mm-hmm. at the episode list right before we started. And I just went, I thought we were like seven or eight episodes in. And we're only, what, five or six? Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, okay. Which I think says a lot about where I'm kind of coming with the show from. Is that I haven't been like super impressed with it that much. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's going back to one of the sketches in the premiere, which was the... Uh, Congre- uh, congressman in the um, in the OBGYN office uh, to which I was just like this is this is funny but it's also been a point that's been made a gazillion times in basically the same way or with the same kind of intent mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily more thought provoking in any way shape or form she wasn't pushing the joke and I basically I felt like that with a lot of the sketches this this so far this season um some of them have been good like i enjoyed liam neeson's uh funeral home for people who aren't cowards um (laughs) because they got liam neeson to come and do it um and i enjoyed even the outtake where it's just like you need to do an 11 second thing 
And I was just like, that's 11 second wave. And he's just like, I don't want to do that. But you have to. And he's just like, fine. <laughs> um, but I mean, even stuff like the QVC with guns thing, I just went, yeah, I, I, I know it's ridiculous. Uh, but putting it on QVC doesn't really change any of this because there is actually a QVC for guns. You can, you can do this online and that's how you can get guns. And I just... I wasn't feeling like that the jokes were going very far this week. They had a the Nick Jr., mm -hmm. which I immediately went, that was clever for like the title. And then I just went, you guys didn't do anything really interesting with that. <laughs> and so I just I've been struggling with the season so far. Um, I think the only episode I've liked, which is the episode that you, I think, in particular wanted to discuss was um, and Brave. I'm forgetting which was the brave yeah episode three yeah uh which i think has probably been their strongest episode yeah i would agree with that um i really liked episode three uh, a lot and i i'm more positive on the season i think than you are but i don't disagree that they a lot of the even my favorite sketches um from the season probably could use another level or another twist. So like the Nick Jr. sketch is super fun if you're a fan of the Nick. And particularly right. that they get the, the the one actor in to play the same character and he plays it exactly the same, which I thought was a lot of fun. Um it's making the point that the characters on the Nick are these these surgeons and stuff are all basically children. They're so immature and it, the the idea of the entitled white male protagonist is basically a child. Um works and i mean maybe i'm overanalyzing but that's what i was seeing in it but in but again it, that is a lot of fun and the visuals and everything is great but um that's not going to be one that i return to right outside of my affinity for the nick so like them having a very martinez -y score you know like all the, those details they get all that stuff right but when they did the football town knights sketch uh right. th they had more to say yes uh, and so so this was you know, I think when you when I just watched the the Nick sketch, it's fun. When I think about it in comparison to some of the other parodies they've done, it just it pales and it pales. Um, right. I did really like the from Brave, <laughs> the discussion of yeah, she's so brave for being naked <laughs> is a a fun topic. But um, I did really like the the fantasy football sketch that they did i also really liked the um the goggles that she's wearing today yeah the goggles was really solid yeah that i would i would say that's probably the best sketch of the season so far mm -hmm. um that one was really good and they've had some recurring ideas along that vein and like and that happens in this episode with madonna or whore of how how you know amy's new boyfriend wants her to act um I, you were absolutely spot on that they ditched all the man on the street segments in favor of me talking to my famous friends, which yeah. is a little disappointing. Um, yeah. But I think they're trying to be funny as opposed to just being, being honest, awkward and honest because there's a famous person with a microphone and a camera and it's really cold in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I'll mention, though, is I do really like the last couple um, Amy Goes Deep segments. Yes. Like the one with They've the sociopath really was good. awesome. Yeah. Right. No, they've actually all been really good this season. Sometimes those are really hit or miss for me, but I've actually really enjoyed all of the Amy's goes deep this this season um, so far. Even even like her conversation with the nun was really good. Yeah, and no, like you said, the sociopath one was really, really interesting and just kind of a weird swerve, but it still fit in because was the sociopath one with the episode with the women in the cabin? Yes, 
Right. And so it, it was got a vague connection. It mm-hmm. got a solid connection, not a vague connection, a really solid connection to a sketch. And that sketch was decent. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, fair enough. I Like I said, I, I've been enjoying it more than you have. Maybe just because I can chuckle along a bit more with some of the uh, sure. experiences. But uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but but I think we both agree it's it's um a little underwhelming so far. Even if, even if I'm liking it more than you are, uh, but an episode that I know you didn't watch because you, you don't have HBO, but I really liked is Veep, um, which is Mother. This is better known as Julie Lee Dreyfus's next Emmy episode, because uh, she's really really good. And the the premise is that uh, Selena, her mother, has a stroke. And okay. and Selena thinks it's the, it's the long and a late it's the latest in a long series of medical complications that should kill her mother, but her mother always like bounces back from them. And, and oh, so, so she's like Jack Donaghy's de- Jack Donaghy's mom. Yeah, but <laughs> but then this one, so she doesn't re- she gets to the hospital and finds out that no, actually it's really serious and her mother yeah. is going to die. And so then it, the whole episode is is her dealing with that, and okay. um and so she does. Louis Dreyfus is fantastic. I mean, that was the the theme of my review over at the AV Club for this one. Um, but she does a really great job of of embracing how disconnected Selena is from her emotions about this because she hates her mother. Um, whilst and, and she wants to focus on work because then she doesn't have to process her emotions. And so she gets first she gets good news for the campaign, you know, the, the recount as to whether or not she actually will find out that she won Nevada, which means that she won the presidency. Um, and so she gets good news right as her mother's dying. So she's like hugging her daughter going, we won Nevada while she's like hysterically almost crying. And her mother has just died, you know, like, and so I think it would be, I think some people who were less fond of the episode, uh, watched that and said, oh, see, Selena's terrible. See, she doesn't even care that her mother's died. But I think Louis Dreyfus is doing really tremendous work showing the levels in, in what Selena's experiencing and how she's using work to distance herself from the emotions, the complicated emotions she's feeling about this mother that she hated dying. And, um, and, and that opening up a door to her actually processing some of that later in the episode. Um, so I think she's doing really tremendous layered work hilarious and then really really dramatically affecting as well in certain moments um the whole cast is really funny in this episode and um yeah i mean it would be if, if you had hbo i'm sure <laughs> I would, i'd be like no you must go watch it um <laughs> so i i am sure this will be what uh louis dreyfus submits for the emmy um for for the emmy awards and i would be very surprised if she didn't win another emmy for sure. it because it was tremendous. Um, and it's also the kind of thing that Emmy voters like. So, yeah. you know, there's that too. But yeah. um, it doesn't... And they're prone to inertia as yeah. well. <laughs> well, yes, there's that. Um, but but no, it was it was really very good. And then, then we end we end the episode by finding out that the all these ballots that they discovered in Nevada actually, which they're predicting will go to Selena because of where they find them, are actually all absentee military ballots. So they all go the other way. So not only does she still not have Nevada, but she's now lost the popular vote. Oh, no. So, so now they have to go she into may, Congress. She may go into office without a popular mandate. That yeah. never goes well. Well, yeah. So now they, she has to go convince Congress 
to to elect her over the other guy because it's a tie um, right. without the popular vote, which she's been making a really adamant point about having won, of course, in every sure. episode this season. Right. So uh, they, they, they've set themselves up nicely for a next chunk of the season, and I'm looking forward to it. So I've gone on a long time no, about you're Veep. fine. So, um, I actually had a question was like, mm-hmm. how much of like, I've only seen, I think, like an episode and a half of Veep um, mm-hmm. in passing. So how much of like, congress is like present in this show like is there are there like established players yeah that play congressmen that now selena has to go and grovel in front of that like hate her <laughs> there will be some absolutely there's like okay um dan uh, bacadal has been playing congressman furlong who is a, a supporter who's like a fellow uh, in the same party and has been like stumping for her and stuff um there's danny chung uh, played by everyone's favorite uh, cattleman's rancher, uh, <laughs> and, and and there there are a handful of other um, pe- characters that we've seen over the seasons that okay. are in Congress that should be in Congress, I think at this point. Um, but there's a lot of them we haven't, so they have okay. some leeway there to bring in a lot of new characters to bring back some familiar faces for just a, a, a few couple uh, quick scenes. Um, right. And I'm anticipating because they've been working back at all in. In, they've worked him in, I think, almost every episode this season so far. I mean, we're only four episodes in, but still out of ten, that's a lot. When yeah. he does did not need to be there. The last two episodes especially, it was really glaring to me that they made sure to get him in. To the, so that leads me to think that there's he's going to be a major player in when they're in Congress. and Because they, they want him to be in the forefront of her mind. Not Because it's not just that he's very funny and the character is horrible and very funny. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's not enough of a reason for him to have been like shoehorned in the last two episodes. So I'm kind of looking forward to how that's going to pay off. Um, okay. But yeah, they have a history of like establishing these characters and then bringing the nothing, just one episode off, you know, one off and then they bring it back several years later. So right. yeah. there's a lot of potential there. I would say. Okay. Yeah. Well, that should be exciting for you. And it for will be other exciting people who watch me. Veep. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, for more discussion, you can head over to the AV Club. My reviews go up there on Sundays. Uh, and and the comment section is always delightful. Lots of people quoting at each other. So uh, it's a fun space to enjoy the show within. Um, but you need to tell us about Faking It, which had what turned out to be its series finale up in yeah. flames. Yeah. Um. I had been putting off discussing faking it on here because I was just like, I'm going to discuss faking it one week. And I just kept kind of forgetting to discuss faking it one week. And now I never get to discuss it ever again, uh, which is very sad. Um, faking it was um, an M- MTV series that basically um, replaced in my heart awkward because mm-hmm. awkward became really terrible and I didn't even watch it this season. Uh, but faking it was really great. Um, basic premise was um, two high school girls decide to pretend to be lesbians to be popular. And it turns out that one of them is actually maybe at v- the very least bisexual, if not like lesbian, mm-hmm. but it also the show doesn't judge her for like being confused about this or not being sure about this. Mm-hmm. And that was the big thing about faking it was that it, explored issues of gender and sex sexuality through a teen sex comedy lens and it was just so refreshing like um bailey button bailey button Buntain, the blonde Buntain. bunhead right blonde i can't say that many bees and that's not even her like name anymore because she's hyphenated it i think mm-hmm. um because she got married but uh her character lauren is intersex 
Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing uh, a couple seasons ago when that reveal came out. It was just like, oh, we've got an intersex character and we're going to address him and treat it really seriously and how this impacts our relationships. And that was huge. And then MTV went and canceled the show like last week. And it was just like the series, the season three finale is going to be the series finale. And we all went, oh, well, that's great because it left us with a number of lingering things that were going to be really great for season four. Like Lauren and Liam were going to like start a relationship and Amy and Felix were going to start a relationship, even though they were both really into Amy. Sorry, Karma and Felix. And they were both really into Amy and Amy was going to start a relationship with her old friend from camp that Karma hated, but then like sacrificed herself for so that they could be together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And Shane, who's the resident gay guy, was going to start a relation, really commit to a relationship with a transgender character. And it was just like, oh. We're going to do all of this. This was going to be really big and bold and progressive and really interesting. And MTV went, yeah, no, no one's watching this. Mm. And but it was it's such a good series. Um, Even if this season for the Shane stuff was actually kind of bad um, and how Shane just came off really, really terribly. I think just to further the plot, as opposed to it didn't make sense for Shane to be as jackassy as he was because Shane's really the most progressively open-minded person Mm -hmm. on the show in a lot of ways. And he just kind of stopped being that. And it was very weird. Uh, But the show overall was just really great and really funny. And even when they're playing like relationship musical chairs, which is a common thing that happens with teen comedies and teen shows, uh, it never felt contrived or uninteresting because it always showed some different dynamic for these characters and that was always really, really important, I think, to making sure that faking it felt fresh every time that they did that. And just the other representational issues of the show also kept it really interesting and really compelling. And I'm really, really going to miss it. Well, I think that uh, it's definitely a show I'm looking forward to us doing a DVD shelf on now. Yeah. That, that, that'll that get me to sit down. Because I've been meaning to check it out since I started hearing, yeah, yeah. you know how you're not fond of Awkward anymore? You yes. should be watching Faking It. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what people like you have been telling me for years now. So that is the, uh, for me, I look forward to, to diving in with it and checking it out uh, once that you know, I get pushed to do that with the right. DVD shelf, but um, but no, it is it is a shame to to see to see it get canceled, um, and hopefully we can look forward to like, are you going to be following the creators and writers as they move on to other projects and keeping an eye out for them? Yes, definitely, um, definitely the creators and the writers, and especially this cast. This cast was really really great, uh, mm-hmm. just filled to the brim with really talented young people who I'm hoping that they just get snatched up for some really great project in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at least at, at least uh, we did get three seasons of like when you yes. talk about the topic, you know, like the 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 premise of it, and, and the fact that this is a show that treats its characters and and you know just sexuality and you know, like not being sure and of who they are and kind of figuring all that stuff out with such uh, respect, at least from what everyone has said. That's yeah. that's just a wonderful thing that that is. Yes. You know, at least got three seasons. Um. So I guess it's time to celebrate what we got from, from faking it. Yeah. And that's how I always approach cancellations is okay. Well, we got three seasons. We got a season. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy with that because otherwise I'm just going to become increasingly better and I don't want to be increasingly better. I'm already pretty better. <laughs> you don't need more. You don't, I don't need, need more. more. Bitterness. <laughs> 
Well, let's move on to our next show, and that is Blackish, uh, which had its finale, Goodish Times. Now, I haven't seen like hardly any good times, so <gasps> uh, like <sighs> DVD shelf. It has never been mentioned as a potential DVD shelf. I there's like there are so many gaps in my knowledge. You would have it's like it's shameful, Noel. It's shameful. Um, so I was not. I I recognize some of the visuals, you know, sure. in in the in the goodish the good times part of it, um, but. I, th- I just think it's such an interesting thing to do in their yeah. finale to just be like, mm, no, we're going to just kind of talk about topics and talk about uh, concepts and where we are now versus, you know, where we were, you know, in the 70s, um, where like what the, what these characters would have been in the 70s versus what they are now um, in this time period and um and doing all of that and just abandoning their actual characters for most of the finale, I think it's a really interesting choice. And I had fun with the finale. Uh, what did you think? I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I've seen a solid amount of good times. Um, not like a lot, a lot. I think I've seen maybe probably two seasons worth, uh, maybe a season and a half worth at the very least. Um, so not a lot, a lot, uh, but enough to be like familiar with the rhythms of the show and everything. So I was actually really looking forward to this and I thought the cast did a really great job of embodying, um, these really iconic characters in a lot of ways, even if they didn't really make really clear, um, trend connections between characters. Mm-hmm. Just the setting and the tone and just the rhythms that they captured of good times within this, I think was really important. Um, so I think that was more important for the show than necessarily making one-to-one connections between characters. And I think that that, that worked out really well. Um, I think the other thing, the only th- thing that I was I struggled sort of with is that They've made a lot of hay about Dre's concerns about layoffs um, at the firm. And I was really sad to see Lucy get fired um, because I really (laughs) loved Lucy. (laughs) Um, Mainly because she was the only sane person there for the most part. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, this is none of this is okay." Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So that's probably also why she needed to leave. Um, But is that I, I never really feel like even if Dre gets fired, something bad's going to happen because he turned the urban market into the market, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means any other ad agency is going to want to hire him immediately. Okay. And so I just have trouble buying into this idea that even if he gets fired or laid off, that the show's really going to commit to it. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, plenty of sitcoms don't acknowledge don't even want to acknowledge the privilege that is necessary for them to do everything else Mm. but at the same time i mean they're just like all right all right we're gonna do pick up basketball and really commit to it and it's just like it's really funny and it's great that episode's fantastic but at the same time like you're concerned about economics but you're gonna do this Mm -hmm. and so i'm really iffy on the show's idea that they're going to to really commit to that idea and i'm okay if they don't just the fact that they're addressing the privilege that's necessary for them to do everything else i think is really interesting and a lot of sitcoms just don't do that and i i really enjoy that aspect of it and i also just made me realize that i just need more Lawrence fishburne doing everything 
because he's so good in this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, he's really good. He's really good. Um, what I thought was particularly fun about the the dream sequence mm-hmm. is the levels of the performance, but also the writing. Yeah, where it's it's these characters from Good Times, but it's also very clearly nah. their actual like the yeah. the characters within the show. So I thought they balanced that really well yeah. uh, to to fit with like. So that it feels more comfortable. So you so you aren't actually really just watching a completely different show because they still yeah. feel like themselves enough. Yes. Um, so I thought that that actually worked really well. Um, the the issue with the finances, I I think I'm not sure, but I think that I need them to either commit to it or stop talking about it. Okay. Because when they bring it up, I think it's great. Like you yeah. say, it's great to see the characters acknowledge their privilege and, you know, the ridiculousness of what they're all dealing with. Um, but if they keep bringing it up and then there's no consequences, then I start to get frustrated because they're not willing to commit. Because other people, when they have real financial problems, don't get to just, like, have a new episode next week. And then that's not an issue anymore. So w- when they're talking about really serious and... Um, significant and important crucial uh, issues in our country and in you know the american experience and the day-to-day life of people there's theoretically a significant chunk of the people that are watching their show to say that this is these are the real emotions like an episode like hope that is so powerful and so effective saying no this is what a lot of black people in this country feel like this is one these are a series of different perspectives about this important issue financial stability is an important issue for a lot of people and so to keep bringing it up and then waving it away with a wand at a certain point is gonna i think be really problematic for me or really frustrating um so they've acknowledged it they've talked about it and they can keep acknowledging it in passing but if it's going to be like a driving force of an episode at this point i kind of need some follow through. And uh, what do you think about that? I don't think that it's like totally necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be necessary if they want to keep hammering the economic issue. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it'll undermine other issues that they address because retroactively, I mean, them not doing something for um, from the economic side doesn't undermine something like hope, I yeah. think. And so it just means that we'll recognize that they're doing lip service as Mm -hmm. opposed to really committing to the idea. And again, I'm not necessarily against them not bring, not doing something big, but I do take your point that if they're not going to really do something with it, then they need to stop talking about it. But I'm kind of okay if they just bring it up every now and then like in passing as like right a in part passing of, yeah i'm i'm super i agree I'm i'd be okay with that, with that. Yeah. but if it's going to be a driving force then yeah it's going to become a shit or get off the pot type of situation mm-hmm. and then yeah i but that's also something that i think shows that they're getting ambitious with what they're wanting to do with the show and i think that, that is the bigger takeaway for me anyway is that mm-hmm. That they're even willing to address it, that they're willing to make this a driving force and something that's obviously going to carry over into next season, hopefully, fingers crossed, that this is a real sign that the show really matured this season and will continue to mature. And that's really, really exciting. 
Yeah. And I mean, can you think of another show doing an episode like this for their finale, let alone, like, in general, but let alone for the finale? I think it's really impressive. No, and I th- they did a big, like, crazy homage for their last finale, too, right? They did yeah. The, they did the jazz era, depression era type thing for the finale last season, correct? Uh, I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but I remember it being an event. Right. So... I, I now I'm looking forward to them doing like event finales for as long as this show's on the air, which is at least going to be one more season. And that's really exciting. Yeah, certainly. And uh, talk about exciting finales. Uh, we, we can't delay any further. Jane the Virgin is our next and uh, our last show in our week in comedy. So Michael's been shot in the chest, but we don't know that he's dead. dead. We, he could have been wearing a bulletproof vest to go out to get ice before he finally got laid. Like, no. you know, like you do. Uh, um, and But but they, there was very actively not a lot of blood. And we cut yes. away really quickly. So it would be easy for them to just say, uh, like, somebody comes al- along right away and they, I mean, he's not dead yet. Right. Or else they would have had the sobbing over the body and... That's not what happened. So what? let's start with Michael and with how, how you think that the episode goes for him and, and what you're anticipating, um, and then we'll go from there. So what did you think okay. about Michael? Well, it's it's unpopular to be Team Michael on the internet, as, mm-hmm. or at least on my Twitter feed. It's unpopular to be Team Michael. Interesting. My Twitter feed is super Team Michael. Yeah, my feed is... My, my Team Raphael feed has very much faded to the background because they're they're feeling disgruntled mm, um, okay so okay. they're just yeah so i know quite a few folks who've basically kind of stopped watching the show because of it oh wow yeah and they're just like no don't don't want this ship forced on me and this is not right and they actually have like serious qualms with michael um so whereas i've always been kind of quietly team michael um mm-hmm. even, even though he's too good to live uh, <laughs> And no, no further sign that he's too good to live. Then I'm going to do my vows in Spanish, and I just went no tears. That was amazing, and a little look to Alba too. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Just quickly on the vows, um, my sister and her husband did their vows in the other languages. Yeah. So, so my brother-in-law did his vows in English, and my sister did her vows in Quechua. Which okay. is a you know Indian language. Um, they got married in Peru, and uh, and so when when he goes to do in Spanish, I was like, and like, and when my sister got married, you should have heard like the like the white girls speaking Quechua. Like it was yeah. like it was like a <gasps> through the yeah. entire room. It was super powerful, very emotional. Um, and so then when when Michael starts going in Spanish, I was like, all of the tears. Yes, it was all of the tears, and yeah, but it was all of the tears, and then immediately. Uh, made better by everyone seeing that Jane needed to go have sex now. <laughs> well, how do you feel about that? I, there, somebody wrote up an article um, saying, guys, just let her have sex already. Like, we need to stop with this. Well, and I mean, this goes back to me really, really hoping that Michael's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And hoping that this is a Mateo situation in which this gets fixed, or at least isn't fixed, but is at least made okay enough. Mm-hmm. In like ten minutes in the season three premiere, yeah. Um, but I really do need Jane to have sex already, <laughs> right? I I think it's okay for her to have sex already. <laughs> yeah, like Veep is called Veep, but she's been the president for over a season. Like 
I don't care if the title is Jane the Virgin, but she's not a virgin anymore. And also, Alicia stopped being a good wife a while ago. A long <laughs> time before that finale. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just like, we can move on from this. And she's so ready. Yeah. The character is, she's there. Yeah, she's there. It's not a, well, I'm not ready type of thing. or Because, I mean, she decided she wasn't ready with sexy hot teacher guy. Thank God, because that guy was kind of... <laughs> but it was just, she's ready. She's ready with Michael. She'd be ready with Raphael. And yeah. I'm, I, I'm ready for her to have sex. I'm ready for her to... I'm ready for her to experience that. And honestly, I'm ready for that arc of episodes where she deals with have, having had sex. Because yeah. I think that's going to be really interesting and really fascinating. Yeah. And I want to see that depicted on TV, honestly. I want to see that played out for her. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to see Giamar, I want to see Joe uh, just go, yes, my daughter's finally had sex. <laughs> and I'm really eager for her to be I'm really eager to see that beat play out I'm just really I want it to happen mm-hmm. and I as soon as Michael was just like I'm gonna go get ice for the champagne they're just like you dumb beautiful idiot you don't need ice for the champagne just no just no stop mm-hmm. yeah so um, what else in this episode because I really loved all of this episode and we can mm-hmm. talk about one of my favorite things, which was a hashtag pun. <laughs> Go for it. Which was hashtag petrified. Uh, did you like how she's frozen now? Yes. I was about to bring that up. It was just like, she named her kids after the two kids in frozen. And now she's frozen. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah. Um, so I, I've talked a little bit. So no, please tell me other things that you enjoyed um, within this episode that I thought was just really, really great. The reveal with Petra and where that was all leading was fantastic. They really delivered on it. That was fantastic. But what I'm going to need, what I'm going to need is for Raph to immediately realize. Like, like, I don't need, I don't need Michael to, he can be like lingering in a coma for like two months as far as I'm concerned of of showtime of like me watching time. But I need Raph to immediately realize that that is not Petra. Like, you know, like maybe like you see, we see them having sex, but you know, maybe he played like, like as you know, afterwards, like he would know he, after that, he should know like before they're done having sex, yeah. but like by the time they're done having sex, maybe he's like realizes what's happened and, or you know, has some sense. And then is like pausing or like, like playing along to get out of the room because that means that he, has figured out, you know, the swap or whatever. So he's like, I need to play along until I get out of this room because who knows what this crazy lady would do to me. But that needs to be, for me, that's got to be the Mateo thing. Yeah. Right away. Okay, I can see that. I don't know. As for the rest of the episode, how do you feel about Rose being back? Well, let's just, let's just give a small round of applause for Jane the Virgin unburying their, unburying their gaze. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, literally unbearing their gay. Um, yeah. Uh, so, no, I, I enjoyed the whole Mission Impossible removal of the mask and then the, the voice, voice change. And it's just like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. And I love it. Thank and, you. And that's the character to go ridiculous with is right. Louisa. Yes, Absolutely. no. And, I mean, kudos to the woman who plays Louisa because... 
she has such a really hard balancing act to hit with that character uh to be like awful and sympathetic and Mm -hmm. kind of unstable (laughs) yeah and still be really really likable that you you want to root for her and then be like oh no sweetie get out of that room so fast Mm -hmm. because rose is rose is a bad kind of crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) but at the same time it's just her face at seeing that the woman she that she had fallen in love with was the woman she's always been in love with mm-hmm. was so great. <laughs> yeah. And I I, I kind of love it. And also, Rose, Rose is way more interesting than Mooder. Yeah. Just significantly more interesting. Yeah. Um. So I'm really excited she's not dead. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, at the same time, the show just kind of kept dragging its feet on the Crime Lord stuff after Mooder kind of died and Rose died and it was just like something's happening with his Raphael's brother and things and I was just like nobody cares nobody cares (laughs) negative cares yeah when you're talking about the the potential like really meaty stuff they can get into with Jane uh when she has sex and I'm just thinking no let's do more stupid crime lord stuff come on uh yeah that's there's a serious interest deficit there and bringing back Bridget Regan I mean because the way that they killed her off seems so perfunct just just like and she's dead now yeah and and there there's some stuff they got to play with the shock of it and how sudden it was and how that affected Louisa but um yeah bringing her back I think is a, a really it's a very telenovela and very fun thing to do um, the other thing I will mention, as uh, we were discussing Team Raph, I, I also enjoyed that they gave some serious Team Raph moments uh, and him not declaring his love to Jane because he loves her and he knows that would have been terrible. It's like the most Team Raph thing they've done for quite yes. a while. Yeah, no, it was. And I like that they gave him the little like dream sequence, basically, where he does it because I just went, oh, you son of a bitch. No, don't do this at his at her wedding come on you're gonna make her cry at her wedding you jerk right be better than this and i know he's better than this is the thing it's just like Mm -hmm. that's like even though i'm team michael i've always been very firmly the fact that this love triangle feels legitimate on both sides to me is one of the biggest victories of this show Mm -hmm. so it's just like i never want to see either of them really legitimately undermined by their actions yeah uh, or if they do, it's from a really organic place, which is what's been happening with Roth in a lot of places. Um, so, yeah, I was just, I was really glad that he got that moment and then just went, no, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. You got everybody yelling at their TV. What are you doing? Oh, you're not doing it. Exactly. You. Yes. And that's yeah. what was that. That was really, that was really elegant. Um what else um oh rogelio's dance oh god and not only that but my third best friend in the world bruno <laughs> mars <laughs> uh yeah. but no his the dance that came out of nowhere like did we know that was happening had they no. even like met no okay i was so happy about that yeah. so happy about it um and the, the interview old- too where like the all all the stuff with her and, and rogelio yes it was really really great but also just kind of small props to the fact that they never really softened her uh, advisor at all mm-hmm. <laughs> i feel like i'm butting you into the patriarchy is just a terrific line but then her saying congratulations on getting your thesis approved mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like oh it's so good yeah 
Yeah. The last thing I have is I couldn't help while I was watching the wedding. I thought the wedding was lovely, um, but I couldn't help and feel like this is her first wedding. She's going to have another one. They're saving the romantic wedding for Raph. As I was watching it, that's what I just kept. I was like, I already feel like they're going to kill Michael anyways at some point. But Right. His, his last breath, I mean, they've admitted is super on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So having like them going a time and again to the, oh, look how great they are together. Look how, how love, how wonderful they are together. And it's, it's, it's a very sweet wedding. It's not a romance wedding. Yeah. Um, with, with the, the one romantic gesture being the vows. Yeah. Um, so when, like, that was just the thing I kept thinking. I was like, this is a really beautiful, very fitting for these characters wedding. And I, also strongly get the sense that it is not the last wedding we're going to see on this show for Jane. So we'll see what happens. I would love to be wrong, but right. I don't expect it. I don't know. Any final thoughts? No, just, um, no, this was just a really solid finale for them. Um, especially after me just feeling kind of rocky about this, this season in some parts, I was just really happy to have wall to wall greatness within the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, what wins your week in, in comedy? Uh, totally chapter 44 for Jane the Virgin. Uh, just uh, We just talked about it for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it was totally Jane the Virgin for me. Uh, what about you? What won your week in comedy this week? Well, I want to throw a little love to, well, first of all, At Midnight, because friend of the show, Paul Goebel, was on At Midnight this week on Tuesday and did a fantastic job. Uh, particularly his final uh, statement of fuck you trees was delightful. It's a post-it note challenge. Um, so, uh, so congratulations to Paul for, for winning at midnight. Um, also really, really strong episode of Bob's burgers with Tina's horse. Delightful. And the fresh off the boat finale was also a lot of fun, but for me, it's, it's Jane, the Virgin and it's veep this week. Those are the two. Um, and very, very different. So I'm, it's for me, it's a tie, but they're both very good. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre. This week in genre, I'm going to talk a bit about uh, Game of Thrones, Book of the Stranger, and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, Absolution Ascension. Uh, then we'll talk some Steven Universe, same old world, before you know, do, doing some some Flash, Invincible, Legends of Tomorrow finale, Legendary, and then rounding things out with the 100 finale, Perverse Instantiation Part 2. Uh, but first up is Game of Thrones, which I had to mention. I had to mention because Jon Snow and Sansa Stark they don't miss each other at the wall by like a day, which is what I was anticipating and very eye rollingly. So instead, just as he's about to leave, she rolls up and we get our first Stark child reunion of the series. So wonderful. So overdue, but it was so satisfying. Very, very well done. Um, and I'm, 
this more than anything indicates to me that they are entering their end game because they're starting to finally have characters come together rather than constantly split apart and, and keep missing each other. So um, that that stuff was really great. That the, the material we got with those characters and seeing those two characters interact with each other, which we haven't really experienced yet was really great uh, Brienne talking with uh Stannis's former lieutenants being like oh yeah no I cut his head off guys yeah that's right that's because he killed Renly so boom we're on the te- same team now but I don't care I still killed Stannis I executed that that personage um so like the the, the dynamics that come from bringing different groups together are going to be really exciting now that they all have these various experiences behind them um, shaping who they are now five, six years on. Um, so, so that was really, that was really pretty great. The stuff with Danny burning down the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, no, explain that to me. Cause those were all the photos that I saw and I just went, she's topless and she's on, well, she's surrounded by fire. Yeah. She's, she's, not on she's fire. naked, but the camera yeah. stays up top, but okay. um, she's, she's the unburnt. She cannot be burned. Burnt fire cannot burn the dragon. Right. The, yeah. the, the theory. So that I know that I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, she, uh, when 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 the the men are deciding what her future will be, and uh-huh. because she's not so because she is too defiant with them, they decide they're all going to rape her. Um, she's like, okay, that's it's like when, when her reaction of smirk probably should have been their first hint. Uh, but then she just throws fire on all of them, like like and burns down the whole building and walks out and is like, peace. Wait, can she throw fire? No, there was like a brazier, like a like a like a like a metal thing that has fire in it to light the room or whatever. She just keeps toppling them over. Yeah. Yeah, She just throws them all over and they catch fire. (laughs) The the building is apparently wood. So the whole thing catches fire. Okay. Like when you said that she could throw fire, I just went, no one had said anything about this. Yeah. Not like, (laughs) like making mad fire appear, but literally taking fire and, yeah, t- and throwing, throwing it at people. Okay. <laughs> yeah, taking burning things, I should say, and throwing them at people. Um, yeah, so that that was, it's satisfying and fun, certainly. Uh, but the, the emotional heart of this episode is most definitely Sansa's uh, uh, return or the reuniting of, of Sansa and uh, Snow and, and Jon Snow. Um, we're going to get Jon's parentage pretty soon here, it's looking like. So that should be satisfying as well. And uh, in case we weren't sure, Ramsey Bolton killed more people. So, you know. Yay. Doesn't doesn't he do that every week? Yeah, from I, what I understand. It's like show. We know that he does this. You don't need to like you like int- this is the guy who tossed a baby to wolves, right? Yeah, this is a well okay. dogs, but yes, dogs. Okay, you know, the wolves in this but, show tend to be good. <laughs> but okay, uh, sorry, I, I no, no, apologize. No. no, this is the guy who was introduced torturing people, peeling their skin off of them for an entire season and mangling them. So like, you don't need to remind. Like we've seen the show. Is he running out of people to kill, though? That's why I feel like that's why they brought her back, so okay. that they he'd have someone else to kill because he can't kill Rickon because of the family name. So, okay, yeah. Anyways, um, I also feel like she should have been able to read him better than to, but that doesn't matter. Um, uh, of because of the that re- re- reuniting of the two characters, satisfying, fun episode. Burning down the patriarchy is always going to be a good time. Um. The two slaves uh, telling the white dude that he do- doesn't understand slavery after being a sla- having been a slave for like a week. Um, <laughs> I get it now, guys. I'm woke. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally is what it was. Um, I'm really looking forward to what it feels like the show has to have him be wrong 
in that and then be right. And if not, that's a talk about like the yeah, that's some adding to the pile of problematic racial stuff that this show has dealt with. Um, but as I'm assuming that's what they're going to do. So we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, Game of Thrones, uh, more solid episode this week. And uh, I look forward to what is coming next with Sansa and, and John on, on the same team. Next up is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which had its finale. And the, the Agents of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. finale was, was solid. They killed off one of the characters I thought was... They killed off two characters, actually. One yes. for a second time and one for <laughs> a normal only time. Um, I thought it worked well. I think that they were too in love with their who's going to be the one that dies thing. Um, because, of course, the Sky, you know, Daisy character uh, knew someone who had this cross was going to die. So we keep watching the cross change hands all episode. Um, that got that got old. But um, on the whole, I think it just it's it's a sad. It was a satisfying, solid finale to a show that I feel like it's doesn't always get enough credit for being solid. You know, like if you're invested in the characters, you're going to it was a really good finale. Um, it's not a great show, but it's a lot better than it used to be. And it's like it's one of those shows where it's like, yeah, I'm watching. I can hold a conversation about it and there's some interesting things and it's not as good as it should be it's not as good as i would like it to be but um there's you know they they've you know i have no problems with shield being around and shield coming back for another season i would love to see it live up to its potential but i don't know that that is going to happen at this point so it's solid and there's nothing wrong with solid i don't think and it may i mean it's moving to the 10 o'clock death slot on abc on tuesdays at 10 because no show survives tuesdays at 10 on abc um for the like the past four years uh but maybe they can like change tone a little bit or change content a little bit given that they're at 10 um i read about this a little bit and i had my coworker tell me what happened because i stopped watching after the the inhuman that had future visions mm-hmm. um and could pass them along i just went yeah no i, I I'm, I'm solid <laughs> i'm good um, but I'm glad that Lincoln's dead because Lincoln was always really boring on this show. Mm-hmm. And it also means Luke Mitchell is free to go be on the Flash and be Mirror Master like Twitter intended. <laughs> <laughs> so that enough. we can have multiple Luke Mitchells on our screen at the same time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But yeah, um, maybe I'll come back and check out the season um, season four premiere. Maybe we'll see. Um, what did you think about... They did a six-month time skip, right? Yeah. And Phil's not the director, apparently? Yeah. Who do you think is the new director? Because it's not Mac either, which makes the most sense. No, May <laughs> makes the most sense. May makes the most sense. Yeah, Mac's not been an agent anywhere near as long. I mean, like, yes, but he, like he I theoretically transferred in from another division at some point. But, like, no, I, I think May, May is not someone who would want to be a leader but i could see on paper you know either that or it's a complete outsider yeah it's, it's maybe like, it's talbot it could be talbot, talbot. Yeah, it could probably... absolutely be talbot like you know like it, it but if it's one of the core cast one of the already existing characters like regulars in the show i would be surprised if it was not may um, maybe it's fitzsimmons maybe they're together the director yeah <laughs> they just the, merged their powers combined powers combined right yeah no. yeah could be could be we'll see what happens um i i uh would actually hope that they don't get too much darker in their tone because i feel like what the show does 
best is not the angsty stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's, made, that's the main reason I quit is that they were really bad at the angst. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the big thing I need them to do is just come up with a reason to get back Palicki. Um, so get back Bobby and Hunter now that their spinoff didn't go forward. Let's, you know, again, like, again, let's just like, like undo that because the big thing that they brought is they were fun. And when this yes. show is fun, it can be a really enjoyable experience. That's why I'm still watching, even, even though I don't, not super invested. That's why at the end of three seasons, I have seen every episode is because for quite a stretch there, it was regularly a fun show to watch. And so that's what I would hope that they can get back to in the next season and getting, you know, they got rid of Grant finally for realsies. They got rid of Lincoln. Um, so and they gave new angst, you know, like really understandable, relatable stuff for Chloe. Uh, sorry, I should say, uh, Chloe Bennett, but for for Daisy to deal with, um, they shake up. They've shaken up, you know, their the characters' roles on the show, and so I think that's all good for the, going into a fourth season. Now they just have to decide and what their tone is, and you know, and come up with a better season long arc. So that's where I'm at with Shield. Um, let's move on to Steven Universe, which also had some a little bit of a shake up here because we have the Crystal Gems returning back to the temple where while well, Peridot is going to stay at the barn with her new roommate Lapis Lazuli. What did Woo! you think, Lapis in the barn of the same old world? Yeah, um, I've made no secret of the fact that I really love Lapis a lot, um, mainly just because of her really complicated position within the gem hierarchy well not hierarchy but within her status on earth with the other gems and everything it's always been really awkward and frustrating for her especially and i was really glad that she had an episode in which it was just like i want to leave and i can't leave where do i go and i like that steven of course was there to be like you can live in the woods you can live in these eight cities that I can name off the top of my head that all apparently are on the beach, <laughs> which I loved. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to the big, big city and become a waitress and have a roommate in a fancy apartment. Or you can go to Jersey. <laughs> Everything's legal in New legal Jersey. Legal in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, uh, so no, but I enjoyed like she realized that she could stay. And also it's just, She's going to stay with Peridot, and that's going to be fantastic. Because <laughs> that there's no way that's going to go well. Um, but I just love that Steven's family is, like, getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Her, his gym family is getting bigger. And I'm really excited to see all these new dynamics play out now. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm really excited about that. I also really like that, that what she needs is space. In time. Yes, and that she can't her what she's dealing with cannot just be solved with a hug and with yeah. the crystal gems like you you can be one of them like that's not what it's not what she, she wants it's not what she wants it's not what she needs it doesn't fit with her personality she's gonna need to process and adjust and deal and um and i like that they that she does feel distinct so so distinct uh her personality from the other characters and that's gonna i think again bring a lot like like you can you can see peridot living with any of the other crystal gems she would get along with garnet they would like garnet can be chill with anyone but the other ones would they would you can already like see the the odd couple buddy comedy yeah. with the other ones 
with Lapis, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Yeah, it's going to go really, it's going to go really weird. Yeah. And that's really exciting to me because that gives yeah. them new. Th- if I don't, if I can't just like already see this come in my head, that tells me that they there's a lot more creativity, uh, a potential for creativity with it. And so, like you said, it's probably not going to go well, but it'll be more interesting than than any of the other pairings that I think they could have come up with. So I'm glad she's sticking around. I'm glad that she's not just going to be there always. Yes. It's so it's a good. I think it's a smart move for the show. Yeah. I agree. And I think the other big thing is just more so than she hasn't had time in the same way that um, Garnett, Amethyst, and Pearl have had time to deal with the war, basically. Mm -hmm. Because she's been trapped in a friggin' mirror. And all she wanted to do was go back home. And she hasn't had time to deal with any of that stuff. And I think that this is going to be a really good way for us to explore some of that. And even though she wasn't there for a lot of it, because she ended up being trapped in that mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of I've been kind of traumatized by a lot of this stuff and I need to deal with this. This is why I need space. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important thing for not only the show to explore, but for Steven to understand and mature about that. Again, like you said, not everything can be solved by a hug or by watching one teen show over and over and over and over and over again, just that one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's really important for Steven in terms of maturation for him to really come to grasp. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, if there's ever an episode that shouldn't have a song by Steven fixing everything, it's this one. Right. And so it's like the only time I'm like, I could super go for a Lapis Lazuli song being sad, but... I actually don't want Steven to sing. I almost yeah. always want him to sing. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's a good change of it's a good change of pace. So we'll see how things continue with Lapis moving forward in the, the summer of Steven. Um, I'm so glad that it's back. Okay. Um, next up is The Flash, and we called it. I mean, everyone called it. Uh, this is Invincible, and of course, uh, of course, Henry is not invincible um, so we talked we talked about it last week but uh what i'm gonna talk about here and throw to you with is i think actually this episode i really appreciated the way the writers handled things because they know that the viewers know that someone's dying and they know that we are pretty sure it's gonna be henry and so they seeded so much that it could be joe right like with like my grand my grandkids are gonna call me papa or whatever it is i was like no he's gonna die it's terrible they're they're like we're gonna introduce a new romantic partner ooh, for henry maybe it'll be like that but not a new romantic partner his old romantic from the 1990 flash which just made me so giddy yeah no totally so (laughs) so, like when they had that papa line i was like no i was so so then then when it was henry i was like relieved also very sad but relieved well as as my friend nick pointed out it's just like oh nick barry lost a father figure too bad he doesn't have any more (laughs) (laughs) yeah what did what did you think about the rest of the episode um that all right so i have a lot of frustration with flash right now even though i still really like the show um mainly just from the sheer power of the cast um, but it's just like, I don't know or care about what Zoom actually has in mind. And that's really frustrating. And I've increasingly convinced that the show didn't decide that Jay was Zoom until 
after they came back from hiatus, which is really frustrating. Um, just based on casting, because as much as I like Teddy Sears, he's not good at giving the crazy. Um, but... I think he's done well, but yeah, I think you don't cast him for that, yeah. Right, and he... Eh, that type of stuff, and the fact that we have no idea what he's after, and he's not hinting at what he wants, really, in any way, shape, or form, makes me really worried that this has all just been a big wind-up to whatever they want to do in season three. Mm-hmm. And... I don't like having narrative space wasted for wind up to season three. <laughs> um, I really did enjoy Barry as an evangelist for the speed force. That was really interesting and really compelling. And I wish it had had more time to breathe and not be a way to get, deliver a one, two punch of getting his ass kicked by black siren and then Henry being killed. Because that's kind of what it was there for, was to undercut his confidence. He's so confident, and then he gets his butt kicked, and his dad dies. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, the Speed Force wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. And then it let two really bad things happen to him. And that's what it felt like, because it just didn't have enough space to be, guys, no, the Speed Force, it's really looking out for us. And I'm just worried that he's going to take all the wrong lessons from this again, and I need Barry to stop taking wrong lessons and start taking correct lessons from experience and going, oh, right, I can be more than one or the other because that's Barry's thing right now is I'm either really mopey and upset or I'm really, really confident. <laughs> and I need him to realize that both of those things can go hand in hand and not happen separate from one another. Iris's point about fear being a really good thing sometimes. Yeah, more good writing for Iris, right? Yes, right. She's so good right now. (laughs) So good right now. Um, Yeah, I'm really hoping that that awareness of the Speed Force continues because I loved how much that shaped him. He had a huge experience and a lesser show would have had him come back and be like, yay, I'm more confident now. And that was it. But he was, everybody was remarking about how he just felt like a different person. And again, he should because right, he based kudos to, kudos to Grant Gustin for really making it clear too. Yeah, yeah. Like he he basically like found out the closest to like yeah there is a god or like there are larger. And I've talked to her. yeah yeah you <laughs> larger forces in the universe like that should completely change. It's not just like a quirk of science that you got this, this thing happened. It's, it's that, but it's also, there's an, there's this consciousness that comes with that. Like that should completely change your perspective on life and on the meaning of life and on your role within the cosmos. So I'm really hoping that that sticks around in some form, um, like a, a tempered, okay, the Speed Force wants me to win, but it's not holding my hand. It's yes. not predestination. It's not, tearing, it's not running me through the sand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like... There's, you know. there's still two footprints, guys. <laughs> two pairs of footprints happening here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I haven't gotten the Mario Star. It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, so I actually really like that stuff. I thought Katie Cassidy was so great as Black Siren. She's so much more fun on this show. It was just like, can we she, get like Earth 3... She does evil. She's always done evil kind of better than she's done anything else. Or just when she gets to be campier or more silly and just doesn't have angst and burden laid upon her, um, which, you know, is not 
and again, it's just a thing where characters, like, same thing with Felicity. Characters come over to Flash, and I'm like, oh, I like you so much better in this font, you know, <laughs> than, than how you are on your original show. Um, so I that was a lot of fun, I thought. I And also in that vein, <laughs> the reverb and uh, Killer Frost or whatever. Where did uh, they find that wig so perfectly so quickly? Well, I mean, it's not like it's the, the least, uh, you know, like, it's not like it's the most original wig ever, you know. Um, I feel like you could go to pretty much any any Halloween store and find something like that, but uh, but no, I thought that that really did work so well, and they, you could see Cisco like kind of channeling. What would an evil villain say right now? Right. These, these Earth Two people seem like they really just eat that up. They haven't. They have different movies over there, so they won't tell. They're all they're all still watching like 1950s space serials. Apparently, um. So like, but like he like I feel like he was just channeling um. Uh, was it uh, Syndrome, right? Yeah. The whole totally. time, which felt really good for the character. Um, so so actually, I, I, I like this episode a lot more than I think a lot of other people did because I was on board with pretty much all of it. Um, the last thing is, next week is the finale, right? Next week is the finale, yes. Yeah. I also really like the stuff that they were giving, like the PTSD uh, like storyline for Caitlyn. Uh, I, I, I just don't like how quickly they solved it. Yes! And you know, we know, because like clearly what we know is right. Uh, so we've decided that uh, Ronnie is the man in the mask. So like that's going to be like, they keep they tore her down all this stuff and then she's going to get Ronnie back in, in the finale is what I'm t- assuming. Um, yeah. I, so, I kind of hope so because... I mentioned this in my review, but I'm just kind of really tired of this show putting Caitlin through the ringer and then making her all better in an episode. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but the, the the thing with the man in the mask stuff is I'm a little, I'm very frustrated. I was going to say a little, but I'm, I'm very frustrated with the way that this season has like kept going back to that. Like, like our characters keep forgetting that there's this guy being held prisoner in a mask. Like, if Zoom is holding them prisoner, probably you should let them out, right? Shouldn't they care? about this they were going bending over backwards to save jesse and like the only other people you've seen him take prisoner have all been good people and killer frost after she helped you so why are you conveniently forgetting that there's this other guy you should probably be saving because we need to save it for the finale because it's probably really important to season three kate and it's just been a big wind up to season three well yeah there's that uh, any final thoughts on this episode of the flash no, because we actually addressed the final thought I had, which was Caitlin's PTSD was good, but then resolved by the fact that she decided to be a supervillain. Yeah, that she cosplayed. <laughs> she yeah, that she better. cosplayed. It all felt better afterwards, and I'm I'm really tired of that, and mm-hmm. I need Caitlin to continue to be shown to have issues, because they've done this really consistently for her mm-hmm. this season. It was like, oh, Ronnie's dead, time skip. I'm kind of okay with it now. I'm just going to go back to work at Star Labs. Oh, Jay turned out to be a supervillain. Uh, I'm kind of okay with it now. <laughs> I got kidnapped. I'm kind of okay with it now. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I would really like to see her get a, a meaty arc for, yeah, she season, for season three. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'll mention, because we haven't mentioned it, is I really liked what they gave Wally here in this episode and, and Barry's interactions with him. No, the Wally stuff was good, but also Kate, I'm so excited about the prospect of Wally and Jesse boning. <laughs> and, and also i but at the same time i'm really worried if they have a kid what frequency he's going to vibrate at there's that because i'm worried about what that if that's like a genetic thing or how does that work exactly and yeah that kid's gonna have like migraines all of its life 
but she's so into him and i love it yeah no that's pretty great well because wally's wally's great they've done wally a really good job great. yeah with this character and, and making him so aware self-aware in this episode of like i gotta do something because people keep saving me um yeah but at, but at the same time there's no reason not to tell him now <laughs> well he knows didn't he see barry zoom off no he saw barry? flash zoom off <laughs> But for Barry di- was there, and Bar- then oh right, no so for dinner. I, I I looked down at like that second when it happened. I looked up. Yeah, and, no, and- I did too because I was writing notes. I was like, oh my god, WTF? Yeah. Um. So no, I would assume. Well, no, maybe he does know now, but hopefully yeah. he knows now because it's just getting kind of old at this. Well, point. otherwise it'd be like, how could it be anybody else? So first he kidnaps uh, you, and you know that Flash's buddies with Joe, Kickstart and then came to your house and put a big yeah. hole in it. Well, and then it's like in Barry's father. Why would he take Barry's father? That doesn't make right. any sense. If you know, it's like he'd have to be quite the uh, the the. Uh, not the sharpest crayon in the box, I guess, to, to not make the connection to Barry. So, uh, yeah. And we know he's a sharp crayon. We do know he's a sharp crayon. He got a, he did very well on that uh, project with the uh, the car thing, right? That's yes. something? Yeah, it's a yeah, thing. That, Here that we was go. a thing. Yes. That was indeed a thing. Um, well, we should move on to our next episode, and that is the Legends of Tomorrow finale. Legendary. Uh, I was uh, comparatively, on the scale of Legends of Tomorrow episodes, I was over the moon for last week's episode, um, and I was not confident that this episode would live up to it, but I don't think it did, but I think it was a really strong finale, considering what the season has been. Right, it was as strong as it could have been, considering the fact that the show realized, oh my god, the Hawks and Vandal are really, really boring, but we have to tie this up somehow, Uh, so I guess we're going to do it now, but uh, guys, we don't really care. Yeah, uh, was basically my takeaway from this. But yeah, no, I thought this was a so- for what they could do. This was really solid. But I just like the fact that they just went full bore times time travel silliness with we're going to kill Vandal Savage in three different time periods to which a cool. But B, I get to see you guys kill Vandal Savage in three different time periods. Exactly right. They're like, we're really tired of this guy. Everybody <laughs> wants to see him just get stabbed and burnt and like and ne- yeah. neck snap by Sarah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, if there's a mild critique I could offer, but I think this comes into the fact that the show realized that the Hawks just weren't doing anything mm-hmm. is that given that this was really a lot of this was their narrative in as much as it was rips supposedly mm-hmm. they play such a passive role in basically freeing themselves that it felt kind of weird and awkward but at the same time i couldn't care because they flew off at the end of the episode and, and we're just so happy back. they're not back <laughs> right it's just like i want to be up i want to be critical of this a- aspect of the episode that rip was the one who got to deliver the killing blow to the main vandal savage mm-hmm. but i can't be because i'm so glad they're not coming back well it's just so ridiculous it's like you couldn't have rip and uh, like be in a different time zone than than the the hawks because i mean if yeah. anybody deserves to be able to kill him, it would be... It's like, yes, he killed your wife and your son. Yeah. He also killed their son. 
Yes. And both of them for 4,000 years. Right. It's like you and killed the person I love over and over again for 4,000 years, and you killed my kids, and you killed me for 4,000 years, but I don't get to deliver the killing blow? Are you right. kidding me with this? Yeah. And again, we should be really upset about that. But they, they're gone. <laughs> it's Well, yeah, and they're it's good that they're gone, but I'm saying they could have... Yeah. They could have given her one of the three killing blows. And, I mean, she does get to, like, stab him. She does stab him. But but not the one that gets to shove, shove him into a generator and deliver the big yeah. bluey energy dome thing. Yeah. yeah. And plus, Rip gets to be the hero when he throws the Thanagarian meteorite into the sun and then has enough solar energy to, for one last time jump. <laughs> ah, uh, this show. <laughs> yeah. But I think what part of the episode we have to talk about is... The stuff that we get with Sarah because Katie Lotz and killed it and Paul Blackthorne as well. Like, and when we get like the no, we jumped five months ahead. Why? Uh, I'm gonna go now. Yeah, I don't want to be here when you figure it out. <laughs> but also, just really good arrow continuity because la- this uh, this week's arrow, Quentin's just like all alone in the arrow cave for that entire episode. Mm-hmm. And then he showed when he shows up in this episode, it's the same sequence, the same day. Cause he's yeah. wearing the same shirt and everything. That's what he was doing. in The arrow it was <laughs> consoling his daughter that his, her sister was dead. Mm-hmm. But that scene, Kate. Yes. Yeah. So good. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't seen Mad Men, Katie Lotz is also on Mad Men, and she, or was I should say, past tense, and she was really, really good. She can do a lot. She like there's certain actors have particular like um, skill sets. Yeah, skill sets or just just muscles. You know, like uh, artistic muscles that uh, like they fit. Like Brandon Routh, for example, don't have him be broody guy. Have him be nerdy, goofy, weird kind of funny guy, and he's way, way, way better. Um, so ca- that's why casting is so important. Katie Lotz can do a lot of different things. And yeah. uh, she can, I love that they, they you know, the show so clearly understands its strong points, has a much yeah. stronger sense of that by the time we get to this finale than they did in, in the in the premiere. Um, so that is very encouraging for next season as well. Yeah, and that's the big thing going into next season is that they've figured out their character dynamics for the core members of their cast. And they'll introduce uh, two new characters and Patrick J. Adams' character, Our our Man, uh, Mm -hmm. slash Rex Taylor, Tyler. Um, God, this is a show with Rip, Ray, and Rex now. Um, Is, will be recurring for a few episodes. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm just excited that they figured out character dynamics. Like, the fact that they realize... Yeah, you know what? Dominic Purcell and Brandon Routh. Yeah. 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 Let's Get do these that. Two. Yeah. Let's do that. And it's just like, Ray as a wheel man. Yes. As an adorable. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Over oh, stealing things. Uh, I'd really rather we didn't. Uh, yeah, no, it's really good. And it's just like the show is the show really figured out. Oh, right we can be character dynamics of really good things because that's why people tune into team up. That's why people read team up show team up comic books. Isn't for the weird plots. It's to see Batman and Superman argue and woman to woman, just roll her eyes. And just that's what we come to team up narratives for is the character dynamics. And the show took forever to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. 
but they did eventually. So I'm actually like, like I, you're, I was super on board with your review over at TV.com. I'm much more interested in season two now than I was even three weeks ago. Yes. And yeah, no, like I said, I don't know if we're going to be doing coverage, but like four weeks ago, we've been like, I'm not coming back to this Mm because I I don't have anything to say, but now I'm just like, I kind of want to come back to this. And it's coming back in the fall, which really surprised me. I figured it was going to yeah. be a spring, but it's coming back immediately in the fall. But that makes sense because CW is already going. We're going to do a four-part crossover event with all four of these shows now, guys. Get ready. And you know what it needs to be. We all know what it needs to be. Kelly's been <laughs> tweeting about it. It needs to be the Music Meister. Yes. No, it does need to be the Music Meister. It's not going to be the Music Meister. No, it's not. There's it a 0% be, chance. It but needs, it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, I need all the singing, even though yes. I don't know anyone if anyone in Arrow can sing. I don't know. I, I feel like there's got to be at least one. Maybe, I feel like maybe Echo Kellum, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Diggle's got some, like, hidden talents underneath. Oh, God, I hope. I hope so. <laughs> but uh no yeah that that i need that to happen that would be wonderful um yeah, what this finale more than anything else tells me is that they the show uh and the producers know the strengths and yeah. the weaknesses of the show and that is something that i was not confident of before this why so would that, we have been because they picked a really terrible first season arc to do yeah yeah they were not playing like it feels like they just finally realized it in the last few episodes like yeah. they should have realized that five episodes in not even they're like three well i think they i think they realized it around like episode eight or i think they realized it when they left ray kendra and sarah behind Mm -hmm. and they went oh this is this is kind of what we should have been doing but then they had to like build it build it up it took them too long it took them too long but then they realized that vandal was just really boring and the hearts were really boring and they both faded to the background Mm mm-hmm and Ken, that's why Kendra got saddled with that really, excuse me, really terrible Ray romance. Yeah, but that I'm saying, like, yeah, they should have realized it wasn't just the hawk stuff. Yeah, it was also like the the long, like the the forbidden love or like the the soulmates and all that stuff, which kept they kept coming back to with Ray too. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, I feel like, but well, it doesn't matter because they've addressed that, and now we can move forward with next season. Um, yeah. And we they were going like ridiculously long this week, so we need to move forward to yeah. our last show in our week in genre. That's the 100 or the 100, I should say, which had its finale, Perverse Instantiation Part Two. Um, well, uh, I think we got to start with Klexa, right? Yeah. Um, which that was, was amazing. Yeah. No, it was really great. Um, for them to have a little bit of cyber closure, I guess. Yeah, it's the such best way to a bad. That's how you write out Lexa, right? Yeah, if you're gonna is... write Alexa, this is how. Right, you have her killing. I think. I mean, if they die in there, do they die in the real world? I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So killing a bunch of um, poor innocent grounders and Arcadians. Killing uh, a but... bunch of people who are trying to kill her beloved. Is... Right, and yeah. she's doing it with dual wielding swords. Like a freaking badass. badass. Right. Yeah. No, this is how you do that. You give her and, a warrior's death, and that is right. a warrior's death. Um, and that was pretty much the highlight of the episode. Oh, I was much more positive on it than, than it sounds like you were. I like the stuff with Jasper. I like the stuff with. I mean, I thought that opening scene with Clark and her mom was like I, Eliza Taylor and Paige Turco nailed that. I thought that was yeah. really good. Yeah, it's just. I think it was just they were had they were in too many corners. 
mm-hmm. that there was really no way to be a really satisfactory whole. Okay. So there's a lot of like small stuff that worked and well. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like Murphy having to squeeze the heart to keep the blood flowing was just mm-hmm. gross and terrible, but at the same time, just great. Great. So Murphy. Right. No, it's just like, this is what my life is. I'm actually on board with Murphy now. It took me yes. way longer than everybody else. But when he was just like, this is, I guess like, I don't know. I'm not doing that. I guess I am. Yeah. Well, this is oh, all God. horrible. <laughs> of course. Why would I think that I'm not going to palpitate, you know, or massage someone's heart today? Right. When they're um, basically dead. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, there wasn't a whole lot of like good ways out. I felt like, so I was glad that every, everyone got like a moment to shine sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, Pike is dead. Pike Ding is dong. dead. And that was the image that we left this show, the season with, which was also kind of weird to me. It was Octavia walking out. It just felt, oh, this was our, this was, this was our last scene. Okay. That it just, it all felt very abrupt. And the other thing is I'm not entirely sure how they fix seven nuclear reactors burning down. And I'm not. They don't have any nuclear engineers, right? Right. It's just like, I don't know what you guys are going to do to fix that. That's next season's problem. Aside from going back into space. Yeah. To the moon. I, I, I don't know what you're going to do unless that was all some sort of weird commander worthiness test. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I do think that, you know, I'm not saying I trust these writers because I clearly don't. Right. Um, and it's... no one should. But uh, that that's something I like. I think that most shows can phlebotanum their way out of that with a summer to think about it. Yeah. So and they've know. got they've got plenty of time. They're a midseason show, if not a mm-hmm. summer show for the CW because their schedule is so packed now. Yeah. So there's no telling when the hundred will be back. Um, but I was just kind of, I'm kind of, I'm just glad the season's over. I think um, mm-hmm. after being such a champion of the show and then the show turning in this season and I just went, Oh, well, I feel like a sh- schmuck mm-hmm. uh, for recommending the show to the rafters. And then it just going, we're going to kill a bunch of people in really mm-hmm. terrible ways. Uh, <laughs> but you know, keep watching, uh, which at the same time, we could mention um, the uh, billboards. Those were so awesome. Weren't they? Right. Uh, give me a little bit of background on that. Okay. So uh, LGBTviewersmatter.com uh, um, or the other hashtag they've been using is LGBTfansmatter. Um, but if you go to that website, it's, it's it was uh, a movement really inspired by um, by Lex's death and the treatment of that character by the writers and the, you know, the, the, all of that furor, um, a lot of that got channeled into this this website and this idea. So what they did is, um, the they've been raising money, uh, and to raise awareness about the issue of representation on television. And um, the the they've put up three billboards in L.A. There's apparently one that's going to go up in Santa Monica like next week, as well in conjunction with these three are going up, went up with in conjunction with the finale of the the hundred. And so, um, you know, one of them is you know LGBT. Q uh, lives like characters matter like something like that and then then they had there's more than a hundred ways to um, to avoid a trope and then they had forty percent the stat like the stat one I think was like my favorite yes the stat one was it was like 
40% of LGBTQ characters on 20 in, on TV in 2016 have already been killed. Yes, that was it. And it's just like, yikes type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Look at, you know, 40%. Yeah. Um, so anyways, if people are curious, then go to the website uh, to get more information about it. But I just think it's I think it's so great that it's now like several months later. It's coming up on three months later. And um, and this this movement, this this fan campaign has not died down. Um, they've raised over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, one hundred twenty five, I think more than that. Yeah. For yeah. The I think Trevor it was one hundred twenty seven hundred twenty seven thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's they're not shutting up about it. And that's wonderful. That's, and that's. That's Great. honestly the best thing to come out of this season. Absolutely. By far. I mean, just the sheer amount of um, activism and directed activism. Yeah. Is really, really targeted. Key. Yeah. Targeted. Yeah. And like there have been conversations about, like you mentioned, um, putting billboards in other places. So doing one in Vancouver, obviously, since a number of the shows, genre shows film in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, I know that they, I think Atlanta was mentioned, obviously, because Atlanta is a big, big television hub. Uh, now for production because of production yeah and so yeah no it's very very great and by far and away the best thing to come out of the season yeah so way to go way to go Klexa fans way to go you know that whole everybody involved with it I I think that's wonderful and I look forward to seeing the next one because like those were they were also super pretty like super well designed and they were done for free which is the other really great thing uh, nice. Someone within the movement donated their time as a professional designer to design these billboards, and they look, they just look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The paint one is like visually yes. my favorite. Super cool. Anyways, um, uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, at least something, something positive, something constructive yeah. coming out of that. And I think that's great. Um, well, are you going to watch The 100 next year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, just to see if they can fix it, basically. And okay. How much of how how much of what they got and heard and listened, and if they end up taking any of that to heart mm-hmm. in any way? Because again, it's a very awkward situation in which they don't have to, because obviously this is their story; they're going to tell it how they want to. Mm-hmm. But you. I'll be really, really curious more than anything, even if they're not going to fix anything. I'm super curious about what the producer show fan interaction is going to be in the lead up to season four. I know that I want to be in that room at uh, Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, No, it's just the social media presence that they're going to do, what they're going to do to promote and reach out to the fan base if they're going to do it at all. My guess is that they're not going to do it at all mm-hmm. um, just to play, keep themselves protected basically. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll, that's what I'm more curious about than if they take any lessons from rep- issues or representations on their show as though they should, but it's just how they are going to go forward promoting the show to their fan, sp- specifically to their fan base, not to general audience. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I said it before, but uh, I will be at Comic-Con this year in San Diego. If you are cosplaying as any of these characters, find me. I want a picture. I will be very easy to find. <laughs> Don't worry. I will have pictures on, on, on Facebook. I'll be live tweeting like crazy. Um, but yeah, I look forward to interacting with as many uh, of the 100 fans as I can. I will not be there because the idea of going to San Diego Comic-Con scares me to death. 
Um, <laughs> all those, just too many people, Kate. It's too many people. <laughs> too many. Too, just too much. Well, uh, what wins your week in the genre? Uh, honorable mention this week to Adventure Time Elemental. Uh, really great episode that pushed mm-hmm. mythology forward a lot. Um, and in really interesting ways uh that was it was really exciting um and good ice king stuff and i i really enjoyed that episode uh but i'll give it to same old world this week uh from steven universe just because again uh unabashed uh lapis fan so i was glad that she had a centric episode uh what about you what won your week in genre um i'm tempted with the hundred because uh, the stuff that I liked, I really liked. Um, yeah. um, but I think I'm going to actually give it to The Flash. Okay. Because I, I did like it more than most people seem to have. So um, yeah. we'll see what happens with their finale. I would like to see them stick the landing, but but we'll see. So now or we'll take a break. the finish line. <laughs> well, it is the race of his life, right? Isn't that the yes, title? Yes, it is the race of his life. There we go. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. Do I move you? Are you willing? Do I groove you? Is it thrilling? Do I soothe you? Tell the truth now. This week in drama, I'm going to talk a bit about the Americans, Munchkins, Outlander, Best Laid Schemes, mostly because our drama week was a little light. So Outlander felt more drama-y than genre-y, so that's why it's over here this week. Uh, Then I'll talk a bit about the path, um, and then we'll both dive in with the Night Manager episode 5 and round things out with Person of Interest, 6,741, and Shotseeker. First up is the Americans, and I wanted to touch base with this one because I haven't for a few weeks. First of all, uh, Holly Taylor... Uh, fantastic uh, in this episode. She's been great for the past two seasons, but fantastic as Paige. So much great stuff. The the idea of, like, when, when they mentioned that uh, Pastor Ted uh, was going off to, to Africa, I was like, hmm, convenient time for him to die. And then they have him disappear and i was like yep but the way that the show handles that the way that like the you know philip and and elizabeth have no idea what's going on and they're confident that it can't be them it can't be you know like their handlers wouldn't do that while myself and everyone else watching are like "Uh uh-huh yeah they would they totally would it's adorable that you think you can predict everything your handles handlers will decide is good for you um so that was really great very suspenseful and the reveal of what actually happened i thought worked very well um the the way that this pushes Paige and where she's at and her understanding of her finally starting to understand what it means what, what her parents being spies means like they might have to just go back to russia uh if, if they get found out and she would lose her entire life and she doesn't even speak russian and like watching all that sink in for her was really great um the stuff that we got with her and uh stan's kid i thought was interesting and and had a lot of potential i really liked what they gave alice too in that that thread um what we were getting with i just i don't care about stuff with oleg uh, really anything in the resident Ventura, i just don't really 
care about. I feel like I should, but I don't. And I don't think it's just the subtitles. I think it's the demeanor and performances from those characters. They're, they're, I don't, I don't get a strong sense of their personality as much. And I think it's, I think some of that's just an active choice in how they're presented, but I, I would love to hear from other uh, fans of the Americans and how they feel about the recent Ventura scenes. But anyways, I, I also really liked what we got with Stan and with um, Martha's dad. Um, the, the other, you know, things I'm, I'm curious about Gad getting killed. Like that seemed to, I'm surprised. I, I'm curious to see why that was included. Um, I'm sure that'll be coming in future episodes, but um, yeah, on the whole, another really, really great episode like the stuff going on with um with, with elizabeth's asset is just like heartbreaking and watching her deal with like finally reach a point where she can't she doesn't it's really hurting her to do what she's doing to her friend this person that has become her friend she's ruining the, her life basically and it's she can't she's gotten to a point where finally she she doesn't want to I think it's really great to watch the character go through that and, and process all of that, which is something we've, we've seen. That's where Philip has been for quite a while. So watching um, Elizabeth deal with that, I think, is, has been really interesting and, and worked really well. And then bringing back Kimmy, like out of nowhere, I thought was also a fun little twist at the end of the episode. So um, we'll see what, what comes next. But another really very strong The Americans. Uh, for Outlander, Best Laid Schemes, um, the stuff, I mean, we spend a full episode. Uh, the previous week, well, not a full episode, but the climax of the episode is this huge fight between Claire and Jamie about uh, whether Jamie is going to challenge uh, Jack Randall to a duel, which he wants to. Uh, but if he kills Jack, if he kills, um, you know, Black Jack Randall, then Frank won't be born hundreds of years in the future. And I was like, okay, how come you're not mentioning if Frank is never born, I won't get married to Frank, we won't go up to Scotland on vacation, and I won't travel back in time. Like, she never does. She's just like, he shouldn't, this innocent person shouldn't suffer because of Captain Jack. You know, like, that, I was a little bit like, okay, come on, Claire, let's, let's take this, like, take this to the next level. But then they, in this episode, what I think was really great this week's episode is they have Jamie say, yeah, I was, I, I said I wouldn't kill him for a year because I owed you a debt, but I thought about it more and I don't. I've saved you as much as you've saved me. We're even. So here, I won't kill him because I will promise not to kill him if you promise that if we all die, you'll go back through the stones and go back to Frank and be safe in the future. Like so, like that having that bargain was so much more powerful and affecting, especially with where the season started out with her back in the forties, uh, or fifties maybe late forties, early fifties. Um, anyways, so that late forties, yeah. yeah, that was that was much more potent and uh, much more interesting than than the very affecting, really strong scene in the previous episode. But I thought this was even better, um, and uh, then having all that come to naught anyways because. Randall catches like their ward basically stealing from him and so he pushes then they have to do the duel anyways and he st stabs him in the junk <laughs> just in case you weren't sure he's not having children um, which is very very satisfying to watch that horrible horrible character bleed out from his penis I assume or his thigh 
perhaps. But anyways, very satisfying to see that happen. Um, I have a feeling we're going to find out some other stuff that is going to have the timeline be secure. But anyways, uh, I look forward to seeing where that takes things in the next episode. And um, it's been a really strong second season of Outlander. So a lot of fun. And just watching Murtaugh, like, get all duded up in, like, a fancy, really beautifully embroidered vest and poopy shirt and everything. And he's just, like, constantly can't... He just hates it so much. Uh, all the fancy frilly clothes and everything. It was it was a lot of fun. So th- it's again, it's been a very strong second season of Outlander. Uh, but let's move on to the path, which you have, you were going to catch up with, haven't had a chance to see yet. My review is up at the AV Club, so I'm going to keep this super. No, you don't have to worry. Keep this super okay. quick. A um, uh, couple, like just, I'll just mention that I really loved the score for this episode. It was uh, like the past few weeks have been like solid on, but not as wowed. But I I really like to hear a lot of really subtle but really effective scoring just like a half step here and all of a sudden everything the entire meaning of the scene shifts which is the stuff that I get into um I had to cut out like a solid 300 words of talking about more about the score like there's about 300 words of scoring notes in my review at the AV club but I had like another 300 that I was like no Kate keep it more balanced it's not all about so there's a lot of really fun fun great stuff in there um some of the symbolism that we get in the episode is a bit on the nose but it's still very affecting and the performances especially for me in this episode from Michelle Monaghan I was really impressed with her um she says the the name Hawk at at one point um in the episode and it's just like pulls your heart out of your chest it's just so like it's still i can just still hear her saying it in my in my mind's eye because it's just such a great delivery um so yeah there's a lot of really good stuff in this episode as far as i'm concerned but you haven't seen it yet so we're going to talk about it next week after the finale has aired yes um i'm looking forward to it i i keep trying to think of why i'm not more invested in the past like what i think of what has been the best new tv shows this season for whatever reason, even though I'm reviewing it, even though I keep peeling back layers and I keep finding that there's more to talk about, I still am not thinking, like, I don't default to the path. I immediately go to People vs. O.J. Simpson and Underground, and then I think, what are our other new shows? Before I go, oh yeah, that's right, the one you're reviewing right now that you've been really positive about. I don't know why that is. Would you say that for yourself? Like, how would you, like, are you, like, super excited about the path, or is it just, like, because there's less on right now? No, I've I've been like excited about it, but like you, I don't immediately think about it, and <laughs> I chuck a lot of that up to just being on Hulu. And like nobody's watching it, so nobody's talking that's about it. That's the other thing is like nobody else is talking about it, but like you and me. <laughs> uh, no, no, other people I'm sure are talking about it somewhere, but like no one in my feed's talking about this. Um, yeah. And I, I I really do think that it's just that it's on Hulu, and we're not really immediately thinking about it. Like Lady Dynamite premiered this this week on netflix and it's just like oh god another netflix premiere there's one every other week i cannot keep up with this yeah never fear listeners we'll have thoughts on that next week yes no we promise but it is just like ah i can't keep up with this and i i think that's what it is it's just like cable satellite tv that can be easily fed into my dvr i'm much more hyper aware of whereas Mm. I have to remember to go to Hulu to watch The Path. I have to remember to go to Netflix to watch The Ranch, which I still haven't watched past the first episode of, even though I wanted to. <laughs> and But I remembered enough to watch three episodes of Grace and Frankie, which, by the way, is still really good this season so far. And it's just, I, I can't remember. And yeah. I think that's a lot. It just, 
it's still in the back of my brain and not immediate quality stuff unless it's something really established like orange is the new black Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's what it is yeah we'll have more on the path next week uh but now let's move on to the night manager which also has its finale next week um but i like episode five is where like partway through episode four but certainly by the time we get like about a few minutes into episode five i was like oh i think i finally see what everybody else has been seeing what was the thing that like tipped it i was just like way more invested in the lori and um Hiddleston? Hiddleston. I kept trying to think with an M, but Hiddleston um, scenes. I was like, oh, this intensity that I'm feeling, that's what other people were feeling from the first episode on that I haven't been. But um, I think because now things are finally coming to a head, um, yeah. that that allows, and we have um, Lori much more suspicious, that is really cranked up the stakes for me, and so I'm much more um, invested, and I can't wait to watch the finale. Yes, I'm very excited about the finale as well. Um, I, one of the big things about this episode in particular uh, was just the sheer showcase of putting on a sh- arms deal show. Mm-hmm. Of here's our weapons, here's why they're awesome, and it's just like this is terrible. And I mean, a lot of it was very much like kind of Iron Man one ish, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I mean, you've got Lori, and you've got Lori just talking. And destruction raining down behind him while he's like chomping on like a cigar half the time. <laughs> and it's just, it's so flagrantly not caring about humanity that I just really loved it. And it's a big defining moment for Roper mm-hmm. because I mean, we've seen him like kind of care about his kid, kind of care about his mistress and care about his business. But I mean, this is like, oh, right, this guy's a fucking arms dealer. <laughs> And it just was a really stark reminder of that. And it it has become increasingly less abstract that he's an arms dealer as the seasons progress, which is, I think, a really interesting way of telling us about Roper. Because, I mean, in the first episode, it's like Roper barely exists in the first episode. And we know him as this guy who's selling weapons that gets the woman killed in the hotel that yeah. spurs uh, Hedleston's character on to do all of this and then he shows up at the end in the um, in the really cold <laughs> uh, the Swedish hotel, it's Swedish right? Swiss. Swiss, yes, in the Swiss hotel and he's just like this charming rich guy mm-hmm. with an entourage and a mistress who has no qualms about stripping down to nothing to go get into the tub mm-hmm. and so but each each episode he just gets progressively worse and I really like how they've depicted that. And now we've got this big climax of him selling arms while there's just explosions all around him. Yeah, no, I thought it was a very, it was a effective scene. It was a, a spotlight feature scene. And it really, it's like, you're, like you said, seeing the character in his natural habitat. Right. Uh, and I think that is probably a big part of why I'm much more interested than I was earlier in the season. So I'm glad to be seeing what everyone else is seeing or has been seeing, even if I still hold with my less than, um, or sure. just, just kind of like, okay. Just like thused, not unenthused, but not overly enthused either. Are uh, you having, um, like disconnect between like Lori's still on veep, right? Yes. Uh, he, he actually shows up and has a, one of the best lines of this episode, actually. Right, and he's like, he plays like the nicest man, like the one every human being on the planet likes on Veep, right? Um, yes, but it's it's more, he's more canny 
this season. He's okay. more like um, he, he's the one who actually seems to care about things and helping people and right, you know, like this is that stuff. And he is very well liked and very well respected. Yes. Okay, so it's like that. I mean, oh, no. I know you're like familiar with Laurie and everything, but is it like kind of jarring to go from Veep to watch Night Manager and go? Right. No, he's such a good actor. But. <laughs> no, it's not jarring for me at all because okay. because I'm so in Veep because I'm reviewing it and have yeah. been for years now um, that it's like it, I'm just in Veep mode when I'm watching Veep. And this okay. so this is just, just I don't have any trouble with that. I can see you have one wood, but, yeah. but I have fortunately not had that trouble. That's good. Yet. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> any any thoughts on the night manager or going into the finale or shall we move on to person of interest, which I know for a lot of people had a really big episode, 6,741. Huge episode. How'd you feel about it? Uh, one of the best episodes the show's put out. Um, I think overall period, um, mm-hmm. just a real showcase for, um, Sarah Shahi. Um, period like i mean it's just it's her episode and she's had a few a few episodes throughout mm-hmm. the show where it's just been her but this was just like wall to wall guns blazing literally <laughs> <laughs> uh just going really huge um and also it's just like even though even though it happened inside her head kate yeah sean root or canon yep <laughs> And it's great. <laughs> and then it's immediately skeezy because then you go, oh, Greer and his cronies have probably watched this happen over 6,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. That's not okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. The, the <laughs> Shaw and Root fans have watched it way more than that. <laughs> Did I break you a little bit there? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Because I hadn't thought of that <laughs> <laughs> okay yes no that's probably very true and it was a really good scene mm. um but no so this was one of those episodes where it was person of interest for me doing one of the things person of interest does best which is a singular focus with a really good undercurrent of like some sort of science fiction element in this case the simulation but also her fighting a chip in her head the tricked out the even though it's not much of a trick out narrative trick out because it's pretty obvious that she's still in a simulation mm-hmm. after they take the chip out and she's still having flashes it's just like yeah she's still in a simulation but you don't care yeah because it's so well executed and so exciting and so propulsive of an episode that it's just like yes please give me that and now i need her to actually break out Mm-hmm. And do everything that she did in this episode. Yeah. Minus kill Reese. Don't kill Reese. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like it, it just makes me think of um oh what is that movie? Maybe it's True Lies where where he's got Schwarzenegger's truth serum. Like what do you like I'm gonna escape, what are you gonna do? And he tells him everything he's gonna do. Yes. And then yes. does it. So I kind yes. of need that to happen. Like I could see them saving her, but I I would rather that she saved herself, at least contributed to it, um, because Shaw is a badass and awesome. Yeah, and it's not just like when we talk about characters being badass, we don't just mean that they're the way people use the term strong female character, where they just beat people up and are physically strong. We mean she is awesome. She's intelligent. She's she's brave. She's uh ferocious <laughs> and she can more than handle herself even in the the 
most challenging and like emotionally, psychologically, mentally taxing of situations. Um, so that's what we mean when she's a badass. We right, mean and she that's is like awesome. the key is like I mean she's hi- she's she's so she's just she wakes up with Simtex and a pistol in her hand and she hides it. Mm-hmm. And instead of just going to Root and saying I'm having a problem, I mean there's. There's a human being inside the sociopath that is Shaw, basically. Mm-hmm. Not to imply that sociopaths aren't human. I apologize for how that came out. Yeah. But like, even like Shaw regularly and routinely kind of questions her sense of humanity in large mm-hmm. large degrees. But I mean, she's she's hiding this, and that's a huge thing. Even if it's inside her head, she's yeah. hiding it, and that's that's huge. That's 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 big for me. Yeah. No, it was. I, I mean. For me, because I have less connection with the characters than a lot of people, yeah. it wasn't, like, revelatory for me. But sure. it was certainly a strong episode. And I was like, okay, good. Now we're going to get more shot. Not in the next no. episode. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure people were excited about um, Elias being back. Um, yeah. I, that just made me feel like have it didn't make me want to go back and rewatch the premiere. But it just raised questions for, like, the stuff we got with Fusco referencing to the, the crime scene and everything. It was sort of like, oh. Yeah. How much is he lying? How much is he not? But I do like um, when they look because they know this is the last season. I think they can really build to some um, a lot of respect for Fusco and his just unwillingness to just do what they ask him um, even more than what they've done. It's been a long time coming. Let's, oh, I mean, just being really honest, this is something that should have happened like a while ago, but didn't couldn't because yeah. they narrative reasons that they couldn't allow it to happen. But now. I'm yeah. so glad it's happening. <laughs> I'm I'm glad it is. I'm glad it is too. And that's um yeah. The, the, so I was enjoying that part of it, of things. The the shot seeker stuff made sense and isn't you know a good idea. Uh, it's a little like you can't help but be a little underwhelming after six thousand seven hundred forty one. Yes. It didn't benefit from airing the next day. Um, but but it was solid. Yeah. No. It's a very. It, to me, it was a much more solid pro- procedural centric episode than um. The one that we got before that was very uh, recentric uh, mm-hmm. about his with some of his stuff in the war. As much as I like some of that stuff, it was just like I don't I don't care about this particular stuff right now. Um, and the case itself wasn't like really really interesting. Yeah. But this was actually interesting because I mean it had threads of Samaritan within it, but it also did that thing that the other thing that Person of Interest does really well, which is where all a lot of the plot stuff even the subplots end up like infringing on things, Mm -hmm. which I've, which has always been one of my favorite things about person of interest as I caught up with it was watching like the Elias stuff get in the way of, no, we're trying to save the world right now, Elias. We don't have time to deal with you. And Elias is just like, no, you're going to make time. Mm -hmm. And I always, I always liked how the show incorporated those aspects of itself to make the episode feel really cohesive. Um, which is something that sometimes procedurals just don't do very well. And person of interest generally does a really good job of that. And shot seekers are really good and solid example of that happening. Yeah. Uh, well, what wins your week in drama? It's 6,741. Uh, mm-hmm. just, I, it probably won my week in TV. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Just because this was by far and away, like the most riveting thing I think I watched and just really exciting couldn't i watched it on like a screener site but it was still like i couldn't not pause it to do anything else because mm-hmm. i was just like this is great uh but what about you what won your weekend drama this week oh i'm giving it to the americans yeah uh munchkins yeah 
<laughs> really good episode. Really uh, challenging positions we're finding our characters in. And uh, only a few more weeks of the Americans' tears. But we have another big week of finales next week. Yeah. Um, but now a few show notes at the end of the podcast here. You can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast, uh, where you can also find our entire back history as well. You can uh, email theteleverse at gmail, uh, gmail.com. Be like Carl. Send us your thoughts. We would love to, to share them and, and give our, our reactions and everything. You can also find us on Facebook, like the page, start up a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we would appreciate any ratings or reviews you can give us there. It uh, helps other people find the show. We would also appreciate ratings or reviews in Stitcher, which has the, the episode, the podcast as well. And that would also be very, very helpful. I think we still have zero ratings or reviews. So you could be the first. Think of that excitement. Right? I will, I will give you a total non-prize if you're the first person. <laughs> Bribing our listeners. With uh, a non-prize. With a non-prize. Look at that. It's so exciting. Um, yeah. you, you can also find us in Google Play Music. And uh, if there's somewhere else that the podcast should be up in or on, let us know. I, I, will, I will make that happen. I can make that happen, probably. Um, you can also find both of us on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Noel, you are? at noel rk and uh you can find my reviews at least for like the last for next week and then i'm like taking some time off um but you can find my reviews at uh, tv.com for arrow and flash finales and then probably won't be on it for at least a couple of weeks since i'm moving (laughs) a much needed break yeah a much needed break after doing three shows back to back to back plus the good wife on sundays yeah no crazy like wonderful commendable but crazy talk there uh you can find my writing over at the av club where you can find for the next week at least uh my reviews of the path uh new episodes of the path that is because they're having their finale next week as well as uh weekly reviews of veep um but now it is time it's one of our long lengthiest episodes ever uh here but but it was a really good episode it was a fun episode we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it for you but now we're going to throw to our dvd shelf segment with vikram murthy a contributor at the av club indiewire and movie mezzanine talking about that sketch show uh staple i don't know if i don't know if it's old enough to call a classic but it's certainly a staple and i think you're okay we're good calling it the classic okay that's the the classic sketch show series mr show so we'll be right back after this done i'm going to ronnie's oh oh wait 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 take this clean shaven tape over to ronnie's dad for me (laughs) would you care to explain this What's that? One of those X-rated CD-ROMs. I will not have this filth in my house. This stuff sickens me, sex with a computer. Mom, it's only porno. Jimmy, honey, computers are not natural. There's no warmth. Not like a magazine. You know, you can run your fingers over the pages. You run your fingers over the pages. You watch your mouth! I can't keep the stupid CD. I don't care. I hate porno. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of all anal action and chicks with dicks and lactating mamas and all of it. Let me remind you, young man, that that stupid all anal action paid for that precious mountain bike of yours. Well, I don't care. Well, you should start to care. Well, I don't. You should. Well, I don't. Oh, my God. Who speaks ill of pornography? Oh my God! Who are you? I? Why, I started this shop with just a hole in the side of a tree. 
Oh my God, great, great, great grandpa. That's right. Young man, you say you hate pornography, but pornography does not hate you. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're adding Noel to our uh, to, to the Televerse's list of sketch shows in in our canon, I guess, of DVD shelves. And I'm looking forward to it because the show we're talking about is one that has been like a glaring omission in my TV watching CV for quite a while. So I'm very excited to be to be like filling in that gap and helping us uh, the show is Mr. Show and to help us with that uh, you know a contributor to the AV Club IndieWire and Movie Mezzanine it's Vikram Murthy Vikram welcome back How's it going It it's it's well it's going well because we get to talk about Mr. Show and I'm super excited about that <laughs> That's great yeah it's one of the best <laughs> well, We we were hanging out at the um at an AV Club event like you do Apparently, apparently we're sociable beings, and you were talking um, about how Mister Show was a really formative series for you. Um, and I'm just coming to it for the first time for this. Um, this was a huge gap for me. But what made you first initially connect with Mister Show? I, I got into Monty Python's Flying Circus at a really young age, um, and so that was like one of the, the first sketch shows I ever watched, and I really sort of connected with. Uh, that kind of absurdist humor. And, uh, I, I was a bit of an Anglophile for a while back then. And, um, I think Mr. Show is probably the, the best American equivalent to the Monty Python spirit in terms of not only just structure, but in terms of the kind of like goofy, but anarchic hum- humor. And, uh, uh, I just found it really funny and coming from a pretty personal specific vision of like two guys who, w- we're both in sync, but also uh, c- kind of connected their own sort of individual spirits together in a way that I think was really formative. And they had a really good eye for talent. And I, I think it's just brilliant. <laughs> that's that's kind of the short version of it. Yeah, well, it, it really, you know, I, this is something I tweeted out earlier today. Uh, when I was watching the show, the first things I thought of were uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus and SCTV. And then I went over to the AV Club 10 that Eric Adams did to like look at some episode suggestions. And it's like the first two shows that Erin is referenced in his uh, write-up there. And uh, I got to give some credit to previous Televerse guests. These are shows I had never seen until I started this podcast and people made me start watching them. Um, so it's kind of exciting for me because I feel like I'm not a complete novice at sketch at this point, like in watching and appreciating it. Um, and, and that through line, like you said... It's so clear that even someone like myself, who's seen five now, maybe maybe almost ten sketch shows, can can key into it. But it, that it's a very clear uh, successor to these shows with the the structure and with the humor and and uh, even just with the the like you said the spirit of it. So it was it was a lot of fun to to dive in with this show and to see such a complete and specific vision right away. Yeah, I mean, I I. I have a lot of love for um, sort of 
the the combined talents of Bob Odenkirk's sort of very serious, uh, almost straight man acting uh, persona and David Cross's just sort of wild, um, uh, I don't know what the word is. Um, I keep I keep coming back to anarchic, but that's that's not really. I don't know if that's the best word for it. I think it's just sort of like a, a like a wild wild card spirit that he has, and I think the two of them together bring a lot of sort of very specific energy to a, a very sort of staid medium in many ways that they really sort of emboldened with kind of like a no holds barred sort of mentality. And they, I think another thing about it is that it's really timeless. It, they didn't do a lot of topical humor that I thought that I think is, you know, one of sort of the best parts of the show is that they, they really were, it was coming from a much more absurdist place and a much less like SNL type impressions and that kind of thing. They did a couple of those, but their targets were much more abstract and they were much more like about corporate America or fundamentalist religion um, and just sort of authority in general. And I think that stuff will always kind of live on. And it's why the show can be watched pretty much now without a lot of keying into sort of the, the events of when it was airing. And I don't know, I just, I, without, without going into like specific sketches yet, I think it's just sort of, when you start watching it, you immediately know that it's something that isn't like anything else at the very, at the very least, and is going to be something that goes in a lot of different directions that I think is uh, crucial and important for the medium. Noel, what was your relationship with Mr. Show? Had you seen it previously? I'd seen a couple of sketches before, but I had never really sat down to watch this. Uh, HBO wasn't a presence in my household, so this was really my first exposure to watching it in any real sustained way. Um, like you had alluded to, and like Eric had said in his piece, I had seen Monty Python, though, plenty um, prior to have seen this. So seeing those, seeing that, and then watching Mr. Show, it was very clear like where they were drawing some of their inspirations from. Even if my immediate thought wasn't Monty Python, it was more so that they had sort of constructed a, sh a television sketch show that was about television in a lot of ways in how it framed its how it transitioned from ideas basically feeling like you were channel surfing almost through sketches which i thought was a really interesting concept given just the framing device of calling it mr show it feels very much like you're watching television you're just flipping channels sometimes and there's an awareness of that because plenty of their sketches transition through television screens in a lot of ways and it's incredibly self-reflexive as well, um, which is really interesting to see. Yeah, one of the things I find really interesting is the the structure of it, which, like we sa have said already like 10 times, um, is reminiscent of, of Monty Python, where each sketch flows directly to the next, to the next. And the, you know, Odenkirk and Cross clearly wanted it to have continuity and a, a, a thread throughout. They didn't want it to to have the the start and stop pacing of a show that has discrete unconnected sketches um and so that for me ties into this again this this idea of these two personalities really driving the show you can see um and, and this is something that i sort of keyed into in some different interviews with with the creators as well um odenkirk really seemed to want like a very elegant really narrative like really tight half hour um, it all comes around. If you can make the, the button, you know, pay off something from earlier in the show, bad, great. Whereas Cross is just does not care, does not care about, just wants it to be funny. And I think having those two impulses in 
you know, creators who clearly respect each other so much uh, really gives them the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of, that can be easily symbolized in the way they dress, where <laughs> Cross is usually like a t-shirt, a t-shirt and shorts, and Bob Oncourt is usually in some kind of suit of, of some sort. And I, I, I love hearing the discussions. Of, I mean, I've hear, heard like behind the scenes discussions about the the clothing choices and I, I know that Bob got really gets really frustrated with David because he dresses down for TV. <laughs> Whereas I think it's almost I think it's just a great sort of it captures the personality the different the different personalities between the two um extremely well. And I also think that something that should really be talked about is as how they it, it's it's a really like lo-fi production and they it's there's very little you can tell it's not built out of a lot of money. But it's sort of the money that goes into it is used in very specific ways. But it's almost they they use very minimalist backdrops for a lot of like heady ideas, which I think is something that they never really got enough credit for. And I think that it is is really brilliant because they they never really relied on like a lot of props. They never really relied on a lot of on a lot of major sets. They had a couple. They always had a couple film segments, but it was always sort of rooted in very specific writing that I didn't think they often, they didn't really rely on a lot of sort of gimmickry, which I think also is a testament to the to the show. And maybe this is where we can start talking about specific episodes or specific sketches, because I know that when we were talking about uh, doing Mr. Show, you, you told us, make sure you watch the, the pilot, because there's this great moment where Cross just kind of like breaks the show and goes over and points out, you know, the budget and where they're filming and the fact that they're they don't even have a set, really. It's in yeah. a, a restaurant or a yeah. club. Um, wings for two dollars or whatever. He's <laughs> like, you can get wings here. Yeah, and, and that really that feels like the, the them not just positioning themselves as like underdogs or this this you know tiny production, but also just really connects them to the audience and says, okay, yes, obviously this does not look like the mansion that this set is supposed to be. Just go with us because that's, you know, we're going to use our imaginations together. And it, it really uh, kind of, they, they take you along on this, this journey. And, and thinking of this show and compared to something like Key and Peele, which is a sketch show that I also really enjoy, um, but it's so, so much more slick. It's so much more produced. It's, it's the fact that these are two in some ways very similar in some ways very different sketch shows um and they look so different but they're both so funny uh just shows the versatility i think of the of the medium as long as it's funny i don't need it to look you know to have fantastic cinematography and and really you know appropriate sets and costuming and like the wigs on the show are terrible <laughs> and i don't care there's like they always have these fat suits that are just like literally like a pillow underneath the shirt, which I think is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I what I would say to that is that I think what is sort of really important is about I think that scene where Cross sort of goes off on on HBO and sort of Los Angeles in many ways is that was at least for me, like when I was first watching the show, a really sort of like eye opening moment of like it. You could tell there was a lot of anger behind that even if it was sort of like written into the sh into the sketch and i think like there's something really important about how mr show very much thumbs its nose at a lot of uh sort of broad targets rather than they're not going after necessarily specific people i mean they always they have like a couple they really don't like carrot top <laughs> if, if you watch enough shows <laughs> yeah. they, they really they don't they really 
they really hate Carrot Top and they hate Pat Robertson. But those are those are the two that they really sort of only go after. But it's mostly like they're really they have a lot of trouble with authority, and that comes I think from more cross than than Odenkirk necessarily. But I think that that was sort of the the line in the sand moment of like we're gonna we're, this is our own thing, and we're gonna like really we're we're gonna we're gonna make you go through it with us, <laughs> which I think is which I think is really important. Yeah, and not I don't want to like rain on this particular parade, but it's also like not super particularly new either. I mean, being angry at your benefactor for not giving you enough isn't necessarily new. I mean, Letterman made fun of CBS for how long? And so I I th- I think it's rooted in like a tradition of like poking fun at power anywhere, which is what jesters are supposed to do. And I think Cross and Odenkirk very much with Mr. Show see themselves as jesters of their time and their targets that they pick and that sort of thing so you can jesters could always get away with like poking at the king basically sure i I wasn't suggesting that it was like original right no i I, I just i was just i was just saying that i think the way they went about it in 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 not only in the sketches but in just sort of like the uh it, it it feels very rooted in both i i think at least cross's personal history where he, he sort of came from the south and he he uh he sort of came to show business in a really kind of offhand way where it was like started in stand up and then it really kind of molded into just being but i i can i just think that like that bit was is sort of like a, i don't know i read it as a really like this is sort of what the show's about in many ways that it's going to be like it's going to be low-fi. It's going to be low-budget. It's going to be high imagination, but we're gonna we're gonna try and piss some people off. But we're also gonna have fun too. Sure, 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 sure. And I think that comes through. I mean, like you said, they pick very specific uh, target ideas, which I think matters a lot. So I was tr- going back through the episodes I had watched and trying to remember some like particular segments. One of the things with the shows that, for me anyway, based on having watched a lot of it back to back to back to back some of it just kind of ended up blending together a lot, um, which I think is kind of appropriate. Again, going back to this, the show as a metaphor for TV is I just watched a lot of it all at once and it kind of just flowed together. Uh, But I mean, you think about something like a talking junkie, which is the season two second episode uh, is a, was like one of the big episodes that kind of just stuck in my brain because I, a lot of those transitions, uh, within the episode are really funny, but they're picking really specific targets that episode from the mom and pop porn shop, which I think is probably my favorite sketch that I watched. Cause it's just really, really, it's really, really funny. But then they, it kept connecting back to this idea of a cultural appropriation with rap, the musical video soul, and then the homage awards, which was just really, really great as well. So they were picking really specific tar- targets, but, I liked the show better when those targets kind of were unified, which I think ex- maybe explains why I would side more with Odenkirk's sensibilities than with Cross's necessarily. Because I like, I like my thematic unity, even in even in anarchist comedy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that cultural appropriation sketch, particularly the um, <laughs> the the access, like the public access show was so um it was just because it was just as the point is that just as i was about to like start tweeting about how uncomfortable i was with it that's when 
the punchline comes in of, oh, no, no, this is, that's what we're going for. We're going for a comment on cultural appropriation. It's like, oh, go team. You got me? Uh, it, it, it was it was really fun. Um, but, yeah, what I appreciate is that they, they'll have episodes like this with this theme. They'll have um, fun really you know, like we said, poking at power and and making fun of institutions. And then they'll have an Amadeus parody with John Philip Sousa, which was one of my favorite things I watched. There's so much music on this show. And it it seems like that should not fit with either of their personas, certainly not with crosses like more off the cuff. And um, we just keep saying anarchic, but like his like like more angry persona and certainly not with like business suit Odenkirk but there's so much goofy just ridiculous goofy music throughout the show and I've really enjoyed it again especially that I'm a day I, I don't know if you guys saw the um the Ronnie Dobbs musical sketch with uh where Odenkirk plays like the British mm-hmm. sort of uh a camera operator and he makes like cops the musical with Ronnie yeah. Dobbs yeah yeah so, I mean, I think what I really like about that is that I I know just from, like, reading about the show, they always try to get both Cross and Odenkirk to sing because Cross has a musical theater background, and so he can, like, sing really well, whereas Odenkirk cannot sing at all, and he has, like, a, like a really bad voice. And they always try to, whenever they try to get, whenever they have, like, a musical sequence, they always try to get both them to sing to embarrass Odenkirk and to embolden Cross. But I think, like... That Dobbs sketch where it's sort of like they go through the cops and then they go through Ronnie's wife and then they they cut to David Cross's Ronnie Dobbs and he sort of like belts out this like oh, like overly sort of this like beautiful song about like be about basically being like a redneck and I I don't know I think that was just one of those moments where like oh these guys have a lot of things in their back pocket and they could just sort of pull them out at will and one of them is that they have. There's there is at least three to four like classic musical sketches in the run that I think are brilliant. They have a Jesus Christ Superstar parody at one point that I think Which that's is like weird and bizarre and it goes on for a little while. <laughs> it, goes, it goes on for like 10 minutes. It's a crazy yeah. it's a crazy sketch that like it dips and then rises and Jack Black's in it for a while. Yes. Like, it's, it's, uh, that one's great. I think, uh, but yeah, they always, they had like really good and they committed to like the musical structure. They always had like a, almost like a three act musical structure every time they did a musical sketch, which I think was like really brilliant. And I also, I mean, I think that also goes into the fact that they also had really, they had like a lot of respect for traditional sketch structure in many ways that it was, there was always like beginning, middle and end. There was always, there was always set up punchline that even when it was sort of going off the rails and going in these many directions, it would always sort of like tie in not only thematically, but also just like structurally. And that's where Noel, your point about Odenkirk's sort of unifying presence. I mean, this show doesn't work without him. Like it, it literally doesn't because they, he, they need sort of like a, uh, almost like a he he's sort of the box that keeps everything in line whereas that allows all the marbles to go f- flying within the box that's a terrible analogy but no 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 it's fair because i mean he ends up playing a lot of like the authority figures <laughs> on the show anyway so i think that works 
He's also the best actor in the show by far. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also something else we should probably talk about is that they have a really nice troupe of uh, comedians as well that uh, support them, uh, including like um, Tom Kenny, who everyone knows basically from SpongeBob, um, but also Adventure Time as well recently. Uh, but also Jill Ta- Talley and John Ennis and Jay Johnston are all regulars as well as a number of other comedians that people go, oh, hey, they're really famous now. Um, so they had a really strong support cast of folks from the LA comedy scene that came into play with them and always did a really solid job. Oh, it has one of the best casts. I mean, they have also Paula Tompkins and Scott Ackerman and Dino Stamatopoulos and, and all of those guys who later went on to, you know, do crazy great things. They all were sort of very integral to the, the, again, just the spirit of the show. I think. What was great was they sort of got this team that was all on the same page, but all had different types of talents. And there wasn't like, it wasn't like, I I keep going back to SNL, but it's almost like, I feel like the show's in many ways a response to SNL. Just a lot, a lot. They were like, in in sort of the way they were doing things, they were like, this is what we're not going to do. And one thing that SNL always had was they always had like a player that was trying to be himself or herself. And that would they would stand out like the Eddie Murphy, where like whenever Eddie Murphy's in a sketch, it's Eddie Murphy in that sketch, regardless of who he's playing. But with Mr. Show, it was a very cohesive unit, with the exception of like Bob and David, who were the stars. Everyone else, even when they stood out, were a part of a team. And I think that's really important just to like the show and also the individual sketches. You can tell they have very strong opinions about comedy and what it should be. They do. (laughs) And and which shows are uh, and comedians are, are wrong and frankly offensive to them and i think a great example of that is the episode where um uh odenkirk takes the day off and Ken- and tom kenny's in there as this other character uh who's super broad and doing a lot of crowd work yeah. and wearing a bright hawaiian shirt um which just offends their sensibilities entirely it becomes an entire thread about <laughs> excellence versus mediocrity yep. <laughs> they um yeah, I, and like basically they, they talk about when they were doing a lot of the promotion for the with Bob and David, which was the Netflix revival, the four episode of sort of like the Mr. Show team. They were talking about how they had sort of like calmed down in the recent years because like during Mr. Show, they were just like very opinionated and very sort of insistent about what was good and what was bad. And it was really sort of hardlined stuff. And they were they would just talk about like, oh, you know, here we were just trying to have fun and we weren't always trying to like prove a point. And I think like the proving a point all always comes through in Mr. Show. That was like, this is good and this is not good. <laughs> like, yeah, they grew. They they're older now, basically. Yeah, they have they have like kids and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, do we have any other uh, cast or guest uh, appearances we want to specifically mention or shout out to or or other favorite episodes or sketches that we haven't mentioned yet? Noel, do you want to? Noel, I'll, I will throw to you. Yeah. <laughs> um. I didn't get into season four much, but uh, they drag, they dragged, I say dragged, but they managed to uh, have Michael McKean on. And that's always a treat um, in one of the season four episodes. Um, and he's always terrific. Um, I think anything basically involving, this is easy out for me, uh, so but I'll take it, um, is basically anything involving Globochem um as their stand-in for evil, ca- the evils of capitalism was always really funny. Um just the genericness of it, but also just how they really leaned into 
basically being able to see where capitalism was going before it was quite getting there, even though this was the mid-90s. Uh, they kind of had a really firm sense of where this was going to go, and I think that kind of came through a lot in their sketches. Uh, so yeah, I'll go with the Globochem recurring bits um, and how it was just kind of a constant presence and an easy stand-in for capitalism. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll point out a couple things. I'll say that... Um... I always think that Jay Johnson, Jay Johnson, excuse me, is the sort of always the scene stealer in many ways, just because of how hard he commits to every sketch he's in. He just like commits to the character where you can almost see it. And the fact that the, you can see the commitment on his face is often the funniest part, if, if that makes any sense, uh, because he'll, he'll like commit to being like a robber, uh, a guy like, no, I mean, there's a great sketch where, they go basically to visit the ratings man and he's also Santa Claus and uh, yes. they, that it's just brilliant. And like they, they're, they're sitting on Santa's lap and Santa basically tells him, tells them that there's a guy in the closet with a gun to his head, making him be Santa. And the guy is Jay Johnston. And he just has this like thirties, like gangster accent where he's like, you're pretty smart. See? And he does this whole like bit. That's just absurd to the point of like over absurd, like the sketch. And I mean, I think he's great in pretty much every, every, every bit in Mr. Show. Uh, John Ennis is a close second. And, um, but Jay Johnson, he's, he's not enough stuff as far as I'm concerned, but uh, as sketches go, I would say the pre-taped Colin show, I think is uh, one of the best sketches I've ever seen, which is David Cross plays like a Larry King type, uh, where he has a call-in show, but it's taped the night before. So what, like, basically he's doing whatever he's talking about one topic, the topic that the audience sees is the one from the night before. So everyone gets really confused and it's just, you watch David Cross get angrier and angrier over a span of like three and a half minutes. Cause no one in the audience understands the premise of the show <laughs> that is flawed. And if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind. Also, one that is just kind of like really silly is the mustard mayonnaise. And I don't know if you saw that mayonnaise mustard. And it's just like this this bit about how this I think I think it may be global chem. I could be wrong, but they invented this product that's just mustard and mayonnaise in a jar. And then <laughs> they they have like an ad for it. And then they show another ad, which is like the competing for mustard mayonnaise, which is mayo mustardaise. And then <laughs> There's another one that's just must if I get it right, mustard may and mustardays. And it's just I, I would check both those out. Those are two of my favorites off the top of my head. I'm gonna give them some credit, uh, some love for their really excellent uh recurring use of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which they do so much better than I can think of other shows doing. Uh, the, the cloned Hitlers, of course. But even just other like every now and again they'll just like pull out a Nazi. And at least all the ones that I saw worked really well. Uh, that it feels odd to be like, and the award for best use of use of Hitler goes to Mr. Show. But I feel like I have to give them credit for it because that should not have worked as often as it did. But uh, I gotta give them props. Yeah. <laughs> I also, as far as the cast, I I always love when Marilyn Rice Cub shows up in funny things because so many people just know her from Twenty Four that I think a lot of people forget that she's a comedian she's fantastic she's yeah she's really good so i so when she i was watching season one episodes and she would pop up i was like ah 
Mary Lavreska, awesome. Oh yeah, no, she's she's absolutely great. She was uh, I think another sketch that she she sort of pops in at the end, but I think is another one that kind of blew my mind the first time I saw it was um, uh, I don't know the name of it, but it's the one where um, the third wheel. I think it's called the third wheel sketch, where it's like two people on a it's like a honeymoon honeymoon they, cruise every, honeymoon cruise yeah where they sort of bring um his best like, friend along, his best yeah. friend along and he just bothers the hell out of them but it like it's best known for sort of david cross breaking into the sort of really intense song about third wheel and he eventually just like enters the crowd and there's a gospel choir behind him and it's this like really abs- i just like to me that was Again, just sort of like breaking, like fourth wall breaking, but also just showing like the really sort of the talents in the back pocket that don't always come out. Like the fact that David Cross is a really good singer and you would just not know that by looking at him. Um, and yeah, I think that's another one that really comes to mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you've said it, but I haven't. David Cross is a really good singer. Oh, no, he is. He's crazy good. <laughs> when he's, yeah, when he started singing um, in one of the first sketches that I saw, I was like, oh, wait. You know, he actually can hold a tune. Oh, yeah. His timbre is really nice. Good vibrato. <laughs> it's like, as, as it goes, like, oh, he can actually, like, legit sing. Uh, which, of course, then for me adds fun to, uh, like, one of the first get, uh, episodes I saw was the one that had the, um, just like a quick cutaway to, like, a barbershop shop quartet. Yeah. Which, of course, made me think of News Radio <laughs> and their guest appearance there as part of, of Dave Foley's uh, barbershop uh, quartet. But, anyways, um, you mentioned earlier, Vikram, that there are four or five, like, all time great musical sketches um in the in the show are like really very strong musical sketches there's only 30 episodes of mr show that's a really high ratio yeah i mean like i i think they have very few duds i will say for like i for a sketch show that's for a medium that's almost built on hit or miss like they have very few misses as far as i'm concerned i mean there's there's a couple sketches that overstay their welcome a little bit and they'll there's some that maybe go a little too off the rails in terms of just silliness, but they're they they're sort of really grounded even when they go sort of crazy. And I think that the just sort of like what's kind of helped the series over the years is the fact that you can sort of revisit any episode and it's it's going to be pretty good. And also that there's not that many. Yeah, that desire for thematic or um, thematic unity or just again the to have the flow as the episode went along, I think might contribute to that. Um, you know, the fact that I, it is, for at least for me, is one of the more consistent sketch shows that I've seen. Um, and, and there were certainly sketches for me that did not, I was like, like when they, um, uh, the, the guy needs change for a dollar. So the guy goes to his boss and his boss and his boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I was just like, Oh, are we going to, yes, we're going to do this for five minutes. Okay. Um, that one was not funny to me, but I will give them that because most of the time when they're committing to a sketch like that, it's one that I'm super on board with. So even if there's one every now and again that doesn't hit, I think, as you, like you said, on a whole, it has a really high hit to miss ratio. And I look forward to, to catching up with, I was, I watched quite a few, but I wasn't able to watch all the episodes. So I look forward to filling in the gaps. How this dare is definitely you a show. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and watch the rest of them. Um, do we have any final thoughts on Mr. Show? Noel? Uh, no, uh, I, I appreciate Vikram coming on and uh, making us watch this. Uh, it was a delight. Thank you. Yeah, no, I would, I would just, uh, I guess my final thought is, um, anything that I say is going to be less relevant than you actually watching the show. <laughs> so if for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, it's now on HBO go, I think in HBO now, uh, in a different episode order. 
Is I it don't really? know why. Oh, yeah, it's super weird. weird. Yeah, I don't I, know why, but it's great because I I have the crappy DVD set that I got for eight dollars on eBay <laughs> that came ripped. It was just it was just like a disaster. But now that it's online, I would a hundred percent check it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's a lot of fun, and you get to see a lot of people that I think everyone who's into comedy knows now, but with they're younger and. They have fresher faces, uh, um, <laughs> less um, less burdened by hardship and age. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's just it's a it's a lot of fun, and I guarantee you'll have some laughs. Yeah, well, and go go watch it to see. You know, like, I would recommend uh, people. Well, and people, especially people, anybody who's like viewed along with us on the DVD shelf. So if you've watched some Monty Python, if you've watched some SCTV, if you watched some Ben Stiller uh, show, and so these other, you know predecessors to this one i think you can really see how they're you know taking inspiration from these previous shows and developing the work they did on ben stiller because of course odin kirk and cross both yep. wrote for the ben stiller show um and see how that kind of leads to mr show and then in, in watching mr show you also see how that has inspired uh portions of the comedy world since then so i, I think it's a really not only is it really funny and not only is it easy to easy to see if you have hbo um but i think it really holds a very specific and and important place in the progression of sketch comedy and at least in american television absolutely yeah i mean i don't think there's a sketch show on the air that with with like the exception of snl that is not influenced by mr show yeah well, thank you again, Vikram, so much for coming on. Cool. Um, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, I think the best would be Twitter. Uh, it's at FauxBeatPoet is my handle, F-A-U-X-B-E-A-T, Poet. Um, and I think most of my stuff is on there. And okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you one more time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 